Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us for episode 149. We're one away from another milestone. That's insane. We've done a lot of these. Uh, I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me are Todd Plucknett, Zach Saltz. We're recording this Sunday, October 24th, 2021 at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And Todd, I, I, I got to say, this must be like the best you felt on any weekend like so far this football season. I mean, you you're not you're not bemoaning a Nebraska loss. You're not wondering what the hell is going on with the Seahawks offense or defense. And the Braves made the World Series. And, and so, technically the Huskies did win. And the so, Huskies I'm technically sorry. did win. I mean, only beating Arizona by one score is that yeah. Is that really winning? But yeah, the, okay. the Braves are going to the World Series. Like, Braves are going to the World Series. Nebraska's on a bye, uh, and uh, and the Seahawks don't play till Monday night, so we don't have to worry about fretting anything. Yeah, now, they are playing the Astros, which kind of sucks. But I guess yeah, that, we're good against the Astros. <laughs> <laughs> the Astros and the Braves in the World Series. I would have had a lot of questions about that ten years ago. The fact that I'm going to be rooting for the Braves, I would have had a lot of questions for myself five years ago. But go Braves, Chipper Jones, you know what? Hot Lana, all the way, do the dirty bird. The thing is, you guys are going to go up 3-0 and blow it. I know I know your, your, your city, right? I mean, are you just prepared for that? That's how it goes, yeah. Well, I had seen on the la- one of the last, I think it was uh, game five, they said that the Braves have had like the last time, the last six times I think they were up three one in a series. They ended up losing the series, and so they finally broke that, including last year against the Dodgers. So, but yes, Atlanta does have a history of screwing things up like that. I just, I mean, it's funny to me that this Braves team is the one that breaks through. You know, the one where Ronald Acuna has been out since like May. Uh, they, they went at the trading deadline and traded for literally their entire outfield. <laughs> they weren't above 500 until August 6th, which is a, a record for a world series, uh, team. And they finished one game behind the Mariners, but the Mariners didn't make the playoffs and the Braves are in the world series, but yeah, their entire starting outfield was, they traded like Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall. And Jorge, and, uh, Jorge Soler, they traded for at the trade deadline. And that's their starting outfield going into the World Series. It's just it's just nuts. It's nuts. And Austin yeah. Riley, who two years ago, there were everyone was like, this guy needs to be like traded out of the sport. And uh, now he's like the, one of their best hitters. Soroka's still out. I mean, th- th- this is a... a, a patched together team it kind of reminds me of like the nationals a couple years ago where it was it was kind of a patched together lineup and nothing felt right about them winning but then they got some good pitching they got hot at the right time and and so like charlie morton is the max scherzer in that situation yes (laughs) yes yeah i was amazed that charlie morton's still alive hey are, are more people or i should say are fewer people going to watch this world i mean this has to be one of the most boring world series matchups possible one of the least interesting or 
are more people going to like watch Dune? I mean, we, we there, there should be a Vegas bet on that, like over under viewership. Well, I mean, the Braves are the team of the entire South. Like they, they cover like 20 states. So I, I assume this is going to be a very highly watched uh, World Series. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and I'm sure there's still some Riveting. some Braves fans like uh, like Todd out there that grew up watching them every day on TBS. That's true. Ted Turner so, fans. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I mean, the Braves are kind of big, and I think everyone to learn wants to see the Astros the fail. What? They're going to be shocked to know Chipper Jones isn't on the team anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, it's or Andrew Jones. It, it's funny. We could have had we could have had Red Sox Dodgers, which would have been you know the big market coastal elites represent. We Instead, were cheated, man. Did you hear? They were blowing. They were whistling in in Game Five. You know, they were blowing signals again. I want to start the conspiracy theory. They are. Oh, you didn't start it. The White Sox started it. They are. They already came out and said, "Yeah, did you notice that their swings and misses looked a lot different in Chicago than they did in Houston?" We had a terrible. We had uh, horrible officiating uh, at the plate Game Four. I can't. You can't root for cheaters. So hot Atlanta all the way. Even though technically they're my second least favorite National League team. <clears throat> Behind God's team, of course. Of course, of course. My my World Series pick. <laughs> my World Series pick was Atlanta, by the way. I want to point that out. I oh, really? That. Yeah, I texted you that. I said it was going to be oh. Braves Yankees. Okay, okay. I because I right. knew they were going to be an eighty-eight uh, win Braves team that got over five hundred on August sixth. I I called that right away. All right. Make sure that you're checking us out all over the place. Uh, you can find all the details for everything at almostsideways.com. You can find the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, you can find some clips and things like that at, on our YouTube channel. And also make sure, as a part of this channel, you have the Daily Notes episodes with Adam Daly as well. Uh, his latest one, he put out a review of, uh, oh, let's see here, it was Venom 2 and and what else? Was he Halloween kills. Halloween kills, and then he, he's throwing in some retro reviews, some blind spots, and the Undertaker. Uh, yeah, and then and then his what the hell reviews, which are I, I find hilarious. So um, check that out for sure. All right, what are we drinking, Zach? You are uh, currently sitting in your classroom, so uh, what? Don't don't if whatever you actually are drinking, just say it's agua fria. It's definitely Agua Fria, which I'm really happy for because about five minutes ago, you informed me that I'm going to have to introduce Dune. And I can't imagine what that would have been like under different circumstances. That's fair. That's fair. All right, Todd, what are you what are you drinking? This is the first call rye whiskey. I've had the first call bourbon before, and this is Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey, which is awesome because you don't see a good rye whiskey very often. I went to the brewery today in between, like, monsoons outside the weather here is insane but uh i got uh this is a ridgewalker beer this is their raid boss red and i don't know it kind of felt appropriate for dune to drink a red beer i mean they're in the sand the 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 spice appears to have like a reddish tint to it you should have got something coastal because wasn't uh the book inspired by the oregon dunes i read that on wikipedia somewhere I, I heard that today too. I heard that today too. I should have gotten something like that. I could have. Oh yeah, I should have missed opportunity. Oh well. All right. Well, before we get to Dune, if you haven't noticed yet, we're going to be talking about Dune, and we're going to be reviewing In case Dune. You missed it. 
Yeah, in case you missed it. But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, and we are going to start with Todd. Uh, so I watched another Matt Dillon movie. I watched the 2006 Kevin Bacon-directed movie called Lover Boy, which stars oh boy. Kevin Bacon's wife at the time, and maybe still currently, I don't know, Kara Sedgwick. Uh, I believe she plays... still currently. Okay. Uh, and she's like a really overprotective mother who has some like really screwy ideas about how to be a mother, so... She like thinks that she was born to be a mother, so but she doesn't want to have a man in her life, so she just like sleeps with like dozens of random people. So hopefully she would get pregnant, and none of them could claim that child. And so it's kind of bizarre, but that doesn't really work out. And then she kind of falls for the character played by Campbell Scott, and she has a kid with him, and she names him Lover Boy, and she's got like a really unhealthy relationship. She like treats him almost like their lovers but uh it's yeah it's weird and it only gets weirder it kind of feels like a movie kevin bacon would be in uh which is interesting that his direction actually kind of gives you that sort of influence but i don't know that it's really that good he's not really in the movie that much though uh, uh the the movie is pretty creepy she comes off like promising young woman meets patrick bateman or something like but cedric was the wrong choice for this movie it's it's like it seems like an ashley judd play that kind of role and be believable in it matt dillon is awesome though like he's like a likable asshole i could i it's a shame he was one oscar nomination because like his, his supporting work is just amazing he steals the show in almost every movie he's in including this one uh but uh this movie is an adaptation and i can't imagine the what the book would be like it had to have been super controversial i don't really want to know what it was like actually the the only nomination listed on this movie's uh imdb page is uh from the women's film critic awards it is their hall of shame winner and that has to tell you something because it is like really unflattering. Look at like every character. It is super awkward. It has a cool cast though. Like Sandra Bullock is in this for some reason. Marissa Tomei is in it. Oliver Platt and like damn near Kevin Bacon's entire family. It's it's sort of like dreamlike. It's it's definitely a mess. It, it, I mean, it, I think it could be one of the worst movies of the 2000s if the cast wasn't so interesting. But Kevin Bacon is bad in this and the movie's pretty bad. But I, I just wanted more Marissa Tomei and more Matt Dillon, which I guess I could save about probably every movie they're in. And so, I mean, I'm landing at one and a half stars, and I might be overrating it just a little bit. All right. All right. That sounds like it's a, a fruitful movie for the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon game. A lot, lot of yes. stars in that. Yeah, that's one. true. <laughs> Good not one not have, so well known. Good one to have in your back pocket. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Get some street cred out there. Yeah. Lover boy. All right, Zach, you're next. Okay, I got a couple things to share. Uh, the first thing is I watched uh, the German nominee for Best International Film this year, uh, a film by Maria Schrader called I'm Your Man. Uh -huh. uh, we're going to be talking about science fiction films today, and this is definitely a, a, an entry into the science fiction genre, albeit a bit more lighthearted. Uh, the story, uh, the, the movie stars uh, Marin Eggert as Alma, who is a research scientist, although she's not into artificial intelligence. She's actually into... Uh, ancient Egyptian scripts and scrolls. And uh, she is basically part of this experiment to uh, in beta testing uh, this AI robot. Um, this company is manufacturing these robots as ideal mates for lonely people. And the robot that she is given is named Tom and he's played by Dan Stevens, AKA Beast from the live action uh, Beauty and the Beast. Um, allegedly he speaks German in this movie with a British accent, but I don't know German, so I'm just gonna take their word for it. Um, anyway, it's basically like a German version of her, except instead of just Scarlett Johansson's voice, it is uh, Dan Stevens, and he is there to serve this lady, Marin Eggert, who 
looks a lot like Virginia Madsen, by the way. It was sort of a distracting in, in the movie. Um, and, uh, you know, she's very skeptical at first and they have uh, some interesting conversations. And he he is, sometimes comes off as robotish when he gives off these mathematical equations for every little day activities. But eventually he wins her over. The movie's European, so it has deeper philosophical questions about, you know, whether it's uh, pr pertinent to hu humanity to resist the urge to fall in love with a robot. Uh, so I appreciate the movie on that level. It also has some nice comic moments. The big downside of the movie is that uh, Marin Eggert has a father in this movie, an elderly father who is not played by Peter Simonischek. I That was a real missed opportunity by the filmmaker. Anyway, three-star movie, solid entry. And then as alluded to last week, I guess I have to report this since we were talking about some actor named Nick Robinson recast in Margin Call. Uh, I recognize Nick Robinson because he is a cast member on a new series that I've been watching called Made, which is on... Uh, Netflix. It is made, not the John Favreau movie, but uh, made M-A-I-D. Uh, it stars Margaret Qualley as uh, Alex, who at the beginning of the series is in a very toxic relationship with her boyfriend and father of her child, Nick Robinson. And uh, she takes her child and leaves um, to pursue a better, more suitable environment for her and her daughter. But of course, along the way, she finds that that is very hard to do because she has no money and she has no jobs. And uh, her mother, who's played in, by her real-life mother, uh, Annie McDowell, is uh, an undiagnosed bipolar, so she doesn't really have a good support system for her daughter. I'm five episodes into this show. I am hooked. I think it is a phenomenal show. It is by uh, the, the creator of the show is Molly Smith Metzler, and it's based on a book. Molly Smith Metzler it was one of the uh, story editors and co-producers on Orange is the New Black, and it kind of has a similar feel to it a little bit, except it's much more kind of grounded in the reality of kind of... Um, I, I hesitate to say white trash life in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Margaret Qualley is amazing on this show. I'm five episodes in. I think it's one of the best shows I've seen on Netflix. It is really good, really gritty. Great look at uh, the day-to-day -day lives and struggles of um, women who uh, don't have a whole lot of um, education or job prospects or money. But uh, Margaret Qualley has to fend for herself and find her way and advocate for her daughter. And uh, she's a tremendous actress. I think if this was a movie, she would be a Best Actress nominee for sure. So check it out. Awesome show. All right. Got a couple things there. Either of you seen Made? No. I'm not. I haven't seen I'm Your Man yet either. Okay. Both but worth I've, checking out. I, I've heard good things. I've heard good things. And Dan Stevens is kind of an up and coming guy. He's he's involved in in several. Uh, and he's been he's been around. He he pops up in in random stuff here and there. Maybe a, maybe a Bond candidate. Uh, yeah, that that's that's very true. The best thing about having a spouse as a robot would be that they don't shit, and so you don't have to worry about foul smells emitting anywhere um that had to be i think that's something that gets underrated in this movie but you know would definitely be a plus for me that was something they needed to explore in wandavision mm -hmm. very much yeah. so yeah yeah all right so my uh my oscar anniversary watch for the week we're going back 20 years and i'm cu really curious to see if either of you have heard of this movie because i hadn't heard of it uh, it is a sole costume design nominee. It was the only sole costume design nominee in 2001. It's a period piece. Vatel? No, Vatel was the year before. I watched that last year. Okay. Yeah. And that wasn't even that wasn't even a that didn't get costume design. It got art direction. The Golden Bowl? No. The Princess and the Warrior? 
No. No. Okay, we give up. The Affair of the Necklace. Hmm. Heard wow. of it? Okay. Anything? Vaguely sounds no. familiar. The Golden Bowl was also the year before. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Uma Thurman in it. Well, The so Affair of the Necklace is uh, has a huge cast for having never heard of it before. So uh, it, it stars two-time Oscar winner Hilary Swank in between her Oscar wins uh, alongside Simon Baker from last week, Simon Baker. Uh, except he doesn't work quite as well in 1700s France. Um, mm. Jonathan Price, Adrian Brody, Brian Cox, Jolie Richardson, Christopher Walken, Hayden Panettiere. Uh, huge cast. Uh, this is a story based on a true story in uh, pre-revolutionary France of a young woman played by Hilary Swank who is trying to get back her, uh, her family uh, inheritance, her family estate, that was taken during some of the uh, political unrest when her father was taken and killed. Uh, Simon Baker plays a young aristocrat that uh, befriends her and falls in love with her and tries to um, help her in getting this back. And the way they're going to do it is they're going to try and basically uh, coerce Marie Antoinette into making, into making this happen when they can't get a hold of her or they can't get in touch with her. That and uh, plead their case, they decide that they're going to steal this priceless necklace and make it seem like it was like Marie Antoinette's fault, I think. I don't know. It kind of gets a little murky from there. Uh, and honestly, it wasn't interesting enough for me to really care. Uh, Jonathan Price plays a, a cardinal who is in love with Marie Antoinette. And so they try to use him in their coercion schemes. Adrian Brody plays Hilary Swank's husband who just kind of shows up and is there. I don't know. And then, I mean, nothing beats Christopher Walken giving a Brooklyn French accent. Um, so the costumes are great. Uh, it there it's, and there's some decent performances. I mean, Hillary Swank, especially around that time, didn't give a bad performance. Um, and uh, so yeah, I'm get, I'll give it two stars. But I'm I'm not it's not really that memorable of a movie, which is probably why nobody's ever heard of it. The Affair of the Necklace. It's on Canopy if any of you want to watch it. Nice. So what was the what was the best costume design winner that year? Uh, Moulin Rouge. Ah. Yeah. And the other nominees were uh, Gosford Park, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Lord of the Rings. So, I mean, it was one of the rare years that it was, like, big-time ones. Like, you had three Best Picture nominees, and then you know, the the hit, the big hit franchise in Harry Potter, and then this. So, yeah, I don't know. Would you have know. given an extra nomination to A Beautiful Mind over this? Just to give another nomination to A Beautiful Mind? Just, just out of respect. Out of yeah. respect. I mean... Do you have respect for beer? Respect for uh, A Beautiful Mind. Exactly, exactly. Or, or like last week's movie, Amelie could have had had a costume design nominee. That had, how, that's an how about the Royal Tenenbaums with those track suits for uh, there ben we Stiller. go. But I mean, they always better. have they always have to throw one at at a period piece, and, and apparently Gosford Park wasn't period enough for them, so they had Marie Antoinette is going to be dressed up. Okay, then we're we're nominating it. That's kind of what it felt like. At least Pearl Harbor didn't get that nomination. Yeah. I mean, the costumes weren't horrible in Pearl Harbor. I mean, if you're going to trash some stuff about that movie, 
Costumes are like the last listen, thing you would talk about. I feel like costumes is one of those awards that it it becomes more about hey, the film is an Oscar nominee rather than the costume design. You know, the Ferrari yeah. necklace is an Oscar nominee, but that's more important than the fact that it got recognized for costumes. It's true. It's true. It takes on symbolic currency, I guess. Okay. Well, with that, that's what we've been watching. Uh, featured review time. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. It is the big movie uh, that is out in theaters. It's out on HBO Max. It made, what was it, $45 million at the box office this week? Which you know had to be hurt by the fact that it was on HBO Max. Um, but it's definitely a movie. I saw it in theaters because it felt like a movie I had to see in theaters. Did you guys see it in theaters or on or at home? At home. Yeah, I, I watched it at home too. I wasn't going to have time to go to the theater. Oh, okay. Okay, so this could be interesting. All right, so we're talking Dune, the latest from Denny Villeneuve. There's something happening to me. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it. What did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dream them? Yes. The test is simple. Remove your hand from the box, and you die. What's in the box? Pain. You inherit too much power. You have proven you can rule yourself. Now you must learn to rule others. Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. Arrakis is a death trap. This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? I know you. One day, the legend will be born. All of civilization depends on it. The future, I can see it. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. My Lord Duke. Where the fear is gone, only I will remain. Go, go, go!
Zach, you're starting us out. Tell us all about Dune and what you thought. Okay, so you can tell us all about Dune. I, I will try my best. It's not an MCU movie, so it was slightly more comprehensible. Um, however, that being said, Dune, uh, Dune has a legendary reputation to it. It is, of course, based off the 1965 novel by Frank Herbert, which has been endlessly discussed by academics and fans. Some people posit it as one of the sources of inspiration for Star Wars. Um, and of course, it's also very much known for its notorious back history with film adaptations. Originally in the 1970s, the cult director Alejandro Dawardowski was trying to adapt it with Orson Welles. Uh, and then in the 1980s, David Lynch directed a version of it. And that subsequently uh, ended <laughs> David Lynch's career as a mainstream director. Maybe that was for the better. Um, but now we have uh, probably the foremost science fiction director of the 2010s. And I guess this era, Denny Villeneuve. Uh, taking a uh, helm of the novel, and it stars Timothée Chalamet, everybody's favorite actor, uh, as Paul. And Paul is oh boy, this, see this is where it's going to start getting convoluted. Paul is uh, in a in the House Atreides, uh, which is at the beginning of the movie given um, reign or over ownership over uh, what is the name of the planet here? Uh, it's it's going to I'm going to mess it up here. Arrakis. And on Arrakis, they produce uh, spice, which apparently in the year 10,000, which is uh, roughly when this movie takes place, is uh, a highly sought after um, entity because it uh, provides for space travel, but it's also something that I think is tasty. And hey, I think we like spice on a lot of things. I like spice on my pasta. Um, anyway, uh, so they take control of this very uh, desert-like uh, place uh, where Zendaya lives, although she doesn't really appear in the movie except for in Paul's dreams, um, except for the last 30 minutes. And uh, they find subsequently that it's sort of a setup and that the uh, previous uh, kind of conquerors of this planet um, played in the movie, uh, represented in the movie by uh, uh, Dave Bautista. And they are pretty unhappy and they have an alliance with the Emperor. Obviously, it's hard for me to, to talk about this movie because there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of names, there's a lot of um, relationships between these kind of dueling societies over the course of the movie. I think the most essential thing to know is that Timothée Chalamet is sort of like the Luke Skywalker of this world. He has some Jedi-like um, uh, abilities in this movie that, are, uh, that he's trying to cultivate. Um, he is sort of an anointed one. We have a really cool scene early in the movie with his grandmother played by Charlotte Rampling, and she is this sort of uh, purveyor of mystical power. Rebecca Fer Ferguson and Oscar Isaac play uh, Timothée's parents, Lady Jessica and Leto. And um, over the course of the movie, the characters all kind of become separated because as they discover on this uh, planet, there's uh, a lot of um, uh, struggle and there's a lot of warfare. And basically, there's a high body death count as the movie kind of goes on and on. Um, OK, we'll stop with the plot because, again, I think Villeneuve is actually he deserves a lot of um, praise, I think, for what is essentially a really convoluted and complex uh, story and boiling it down to the most essential features. One of the things I was nervous about going into this movie is that it would be too complicated for me to follow, especially watching it on a TV at home. But I was actually kind of surprised that it wasn't that hard to follow as long as you were kind of able to identify who the, who the main players are and kind of what essentially what they're trying to obtain and why they're upset at other factions. Um, 
the movie, as you may have heard at this point, is uh, has been greenlit for one part. If the movie does well at the box office, they're going to greenlight another part two. So it feels kind of half complete. Um, it moves at a pretty slow pace, uh, as is true, I think, for a lot of Villeneuve's movies. Villeneuve also has this thing where he loves to show sequences where a character, like, tours a location. Like, I, I was reminded in this movie of the scene in Sicario when they actually, like, tour the city. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, like, really cool visual qualities to it. Also watching the movie, can't help but think about The Mandalorian, not just because of the Star Wars influence, but this movie looks like um, a two and a half hour episode of The Mandalorian and kind of makes me wonder why, if, if, you know, watching the two of them, who would really prefer this over The Mandalorian? Because Mandalorian has a lot of action. This movie is very slow. It's kind of character driven. And again, I'll, I'll give Villeneuve praise for this. I'm giving the movie a thumbs up, even though I can't officially say that I could probably pass a total ex exam for who the characters were and what they were doing in this movie. I like the visuals. I like that in 2021, we have a director who cares about uh, pacing and who cares about characters more so than dumb explosions. I think this is a movie that meets uh, this kind of really tough threshold of um, navigating both what the fans would want to see and what for kind of casual non-fans would want to see out of a Dune adaptation. It's certainly better than the David Lynch adaptation by all accounts. And I give it three stars. Probably not a movie I'm going to be thinking about three months from now, if I'm being honest. But I liked what I saw. All right. All right. Todd, where are you at with this one? Uh, I agree with a lot of what Zach said. I think, like, the scope is obviously impressive. The details, I feel like, are a little vague. Like, it's like Westworld in that sense. But it looks kind of like Mad Max meets Annihilation. But I, I think the territory is surprisingly like really well tread. But I mean, it, it's just told with depth because it's Villeneuve and not somebody else. But I, I bet they're like that. There are uh, elements of like westerns in this. There's some like samurai kind of stuff. There's like old superhero origin story kind of stuff. But it takes a lot of buy-in because the slow building of the setup. Like I, I know it's like the first half of the book or whatever, but I feel like it needed a couple more movies because the expansion of this material was going to feel rushed <laughs> if you really dug into it. It doesn't have like the immediate transparency of a Star Wars or something. So it's a little, you get a little left behind if you're not familiar with the territory. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what, what it is with these kind of sci-fi movies, but the acting is all so wooden. And it's like, why does everyone have to be so monotone? Like it, there's a lot of things they talk about with like uh, honor and duty. It could have been like Shakespearean almost, but everything's underplayed. It's like more concerned with trying to impress you visually than it actually is with entertaining you, which I think is a weird way to go. But I don't know why all sci-fi movies have to do that. But I mean, it's going to be nominated in every technical category, obviously. I had no idea Javier Bardem was in this movie. And I, I was, I, was that a supposed to be a surprise? I don't know. Um, but I mean, I think once you get through the first like 45 minutes, it, it actually starts moving like uh, it's plotting to start and it doesn't have any real momentum. But then the battle scenes are awesome and you feel the stakes. I'm not going to pretend like this is as awesome as it was supposed to be, but it's like marvelous to look at. Occasionally breathtaking to experience. It's full of imagination. It proves on, improves on everything that uh, David Lynch botched in the, the original uh, version. And I just don't know if this is the best material to put on screen, Is I think it's the issue. But I'm glad it wasn't a mini-series or something. I'm glad it, it actually is going to be a series of movies, or at least two. But yeah, I'm, I'm giving it three stars as well. All right. So you guys watched it at home. I went to the theater, and I think this is, after seeing it, it's one that really needs to be viewed on the big screen. It's one that's meant to be viewed on the big screen. And I think it might just simply be for that that I'm giving it three and a half. But 
more than any other movie I think I've ever watched, I feel like my rating is incomplete because the story is incomplete. Like the, this, this is something where we're going to know more about how good this movie is when we see part two. Uh, and cause you had the first half, the movie is all world building and there's a lot of world building to do, which I get and it's fine, but it's really kind of this movie where not a whole lot happens because of it, because you're, you're, you're building the world, you're setting everything up. Um, and the setup, it kind of felt like, I mean, Todd said, what did you say? Annihilation meets Mad Max, Mad Max. I, I looked at it and I was like, this is like game of Thrones meets star Wars. Like if you were to put, because it's, it's all the houses vying for power and control, but in, in space and with mystical powers wandering about, uh, yet it sets up a sequel um, in a way that I haven't seen since like Kill Bill, where it's like you didn't know what to do with volume one until you saw volume two of Kill Bill. You don't know what to do with part one of Dune until you see part two. So they have to greenlit part two. I mean, when well, it comes home with eight or nine Oscar nominations, that they, they, they have to make the second one. It could be like Battle Angel, where they just will maybe forget about it after they did half of a movie. But there, there's a reason that Battle Angel was released in like January or February. And there's a reason why Dune is, is the one, the one that they've held off for this long. And I'm, I'm surprised they didn't change their HBO max policy for this movie because it needs to be in the theaters. Um, But yeah, I'm given three and a half. I, and that rating has a right to change depending on how I, how the second one turns out or if there is a second one i mean try put yourself in villain of shoes for a second like try pitching you know that you want to make dune like dune i think is is legendary in film history it's it's like the heaven's gate it has a status similar to heaven's gate like you you don't want to make dune you don't want to touch that material because the fans are so loyal to it um it's such a dense story and the costs are exorbitant and it has this this reputation of being unadaptable Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I more than anything, it's a th- for me, it's a three star- stars out of respect. The fact that he was able to, you know, appease, I think, most people. It seems like there's, this movie's not getting a lot of backlash. It does seem like this movie's uh, making more revenue, I think, probably as a result, hopefully, of also being on a streaming platform, too. Um, I think it's a really audacious, ambitious project that we don't see a lot of in mainstream movies anymore. I don't know. Is Villeneuve the right director for it? Well, you know, he's not a very... He doesn't have a lot of humor in his stories. I mean, there's like one joke in this movie about Timothy Chalamet, you know, not being very uh, athletic or uh, you know, not not being able to lift weights or anything. But this movie's very dry. Um, it's it's slow. It's it's it, it does me. I think it kind of meanders at times. The first 45 minutes, I really can't point to anything even really happening in it. It's just basically introducing who the characters are and what the world is. So I think it will you'll lose a lot of viewers in the process of that. And so yeah, it might be something that gets critical appreciation. But it's never going to be something like that's you know beloved. It's not going to be like a Spielberg movie, you know, in the '80s or anything like that. So, I think it it has the scope, it has the ambition, um, but you know, I think it it it's it's cold like a lot of Villeneuve's movies are, and maybe that's the treatment that it needs. So, is it? I I mean, could you say that like Star Wars took Dune and made it marketable? Yeah, I mean, my existential question is. Anybody who's watching this and who's also watching The Mandalorian, I have a hard time believing anyone. I, I have a hard time believing that 
people would choose this over the Mandalorian, but maybe that's just my my bias. Like the Mandalorian was fun. It was an original, intelligent, very unpredictable, and I loved the characters in it. Like the character building and the world building in that series was really fascinating and unpredictable. And this movie, I guess to a, a degree, it's it's unpredictable, sure, but I just don't know how connected I feel to the characters, well, especially the knowing their yeah. arcs. The Mandalorian has no action. I don't know what you're talking about with that. That's that's like one of the problems with it is like there is just a lot of walking around. But like, I mean, I, I agree. The Mandalorian is pretty great. But I mean, Villeneuve does these things like Blade Runner 2049. Like he, he'll he'll expand on something that you thought couldn't really be done. And he, I, I think he makes it work here. And I agree with you, Terry. He, the, he's in love with visuals. Like this movie is absolutely a movie that should be seen in theaters. Like it's, yes. it's a beautiful movie to look at. I absolutely agree with it. Does it have as much depth in terms of its story? Who knows? But I think it's it, it's an incredible set piece. So well, okay. I find it so interesting. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, by the way, made made ninety two million at the box office, and we'd all consider that movie to be a success, which isn't. But that's not a lot of money, right? I don't think this movie needs to do that well to get greenlit for a second one. Especially considering what it's going to do with the Oscars this year, and the fact that it's that it was a day and day streaming release. I mean that I think that. That yeah, I mean, killed, I, 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 I mean, how does it still halfway no way there? Venom makes ninety, and then this makes half that. Be, that, um, that was just domestic, and yeah, and then that's exactly. So, Terry, yeah. are you suggesting this movie's going to get like above the line Oscar nominations? No. Okay. Uh, just just effects. Yeah, it's going to get nominated for best picture, best. It might uh, get a picture nomination. Direction. You really think so? I wow. could get picture. I'd be surprised if it was picture director and maybe screenplay, especially since it's a set ten. Wow. This year. It could. It has a shot of picture, but I, I could see. I could see it going through and getting like a Mad Max or a Revenant style hall of Oscar nominations. See, I think one of the reasons why Arrival got the recognition that it did is that it had a, a, a bankable star with it. Not that Timothy Chalamet isn't, but this movie has such a large ensemble cast that it's hard to pinpoint a great performance in it. Even though, of course, Amy Adams was. Because none of them give good performances. That's the problem. Like best performance is, so... is Jason Momoa because he's the only one with some character. Yeah, every, everyone's yeah. so wooden. Yeah. Or Javier Bardem. Are we allowed to yeah. say that he's in the movie? I think. I think so. Was that supposed to be a surprise? I have I, no idea. I think so. Because I had no idea. I was like, it didn't even look like him. I was like, what? <laughs> could you tell that it was Stellan Skarsgård? I couldn't tell it was Stellan Skarsgård until I saw the credits. No. What's what's a good like metaphor for D Denny Villeneuve? Like I I like his movies. I've never loved any of them except for like some of his early ones. Like I really like Polytechnique. That's a cool movie, but like I can't I can't really get, I, I appreciate them. I just don't love them. Like there, there's not I'm not gonna be the first person waiting in line at the theater to see part two of this movie. You know, I've got it's a couple like, big blind spots with him. Like I haven't seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine yet. Sicario is I haven't amazing. seen Prisoners. Sicario is pretty. So I would put Sicario as the second best movie. I would agree. And and I like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's just I I. I don't know. He's kind of. I think he's kind of soulless in in his storytelling, and it, it. There's so much about. Yeah, there's a lot of wooden acting in his movies, and it's about set pieces. And I think that I don't know that that kind of removes that emotional connective piece. A lot of people say Prisoners is his best. What What do you guys? Where are you guys at on that? I mean, like I think it? Sicario is his best. Prisoners is a is a really like solid. Like it's a Fincher movie. Yeah, it's yeah essentially yeah. a Fincher movie. Oh, okay. With a big ensemble cast. See, I would say his two best are Arrival and Ansandi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Arrival, Arrival is, is really good, and it, it is not like this. I, I don't know. Th this is probably more similar to Prisoners than 
anything else that he's done just because of the the drawn out pacing of it. Yeah, and again, I I would make a wager with you. I'll bet you a few beers that this will not get a Best Picture nomination. I, I would be surprised that it would if it does, in part because Arrival had a, a much more of an emotional connection with audiences, with its storytelling, and with Amy Adams' performance. Um, this movie, I feel like you you watch it and you can appreciate from an intellectual level, but there's nothing like deeper to the story. This is currently number 127 on IMDb through 165,000 votes. That's pretty damn good. That is a good sign for its best picture potential. We'll see. I well, that that's a great segue. So let let's wrap up uh, our Dune talk here. We've got two threes. We've got a three and a half. It's thrice approved. It's in theaters. It's on HBO Max. Watch it. And let's start talking about its Oscar prospects because our next topic is talking about the Oscars and our first look at what this race is shaping up to be. Um, and the, the major festivals are over. Uh, we got the first like awards nominations this week with the Gotham award nominations. Uh, Todd every now and then puts out um, Oscar predictions. Uh, he puts one out in January, which is just insane and ridiculous. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit too, but then he just put one out post, uh, post festival. Uh, and you probably put one more out like right before the nominations. Isn't that usually the yeah. speed? Yeah. So, uh, Todd's saying Dune's going to get nominated. Uh, Todd, you're kind of the Oscar expert here and we're going to give you crap for your predictions, uh, as we always do, but, cool. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, let's, let's start with, uh, well, I mean, you, you said, uh, Dune is going to be a, a player. How different do you think things are going to be with having 10 nominees for Best Picture instead of the rolling scale of 5 to 10? Well, I assume that they're still going to do voting the same way. So right, I, right. I don't know that it'll make that much difference. You might just ha you might have one more of those. You're, you're, I, mean, I, don't under, I don't think you're going to have any uh, lone director nominations, I guess. So if, if, if it's not a Best Picture nominee, I doubt Villeneuve gets nominated for Best Director. But I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily going to bring in another big box office movie or something, the way people are always speculating. What are, what are the biggest movies we haven't seen yet that people need to be paying attention to when it comes to Oscar prospects? Like haven't seen, meaning nobody's seen them? Like, like they have not gotten a wide release. They're not, and and we've just gotten like festival reactions. Well, Belfast is like that. That's the big contender. That was the it won what Toronto, the one that always predicts the best picture nominee. That that's the Kenneth Branagh like coming of age story. His his Roma is what they're calling it. Um, I mean, every, I mean, my, my number one is the power of the dog. That's what it was last January. And I still am sticking with that. And I don't know if that's exactly the way I should go, but I, I still think that is a really strong chance. And Jane Campion is a beloved director who has never gotten her due as a, a director. She won an Oscar for screenplay. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, th th there's, th there's the other ones, obviously Spencer. I, I don't know how big of a chance that has a best picture, but everyone's saying, uh, Kristen Stewart is going to win Best Actress, which, I mean, is what I have predicted. I'm, I'm not exactly 100% on that either. There, there's a lot of those. The Tragedy of Macbeth is another one that it's... I mean, it's the Coens, but they're doing a low-budget... Not the Coens. It's Joel Cohen. Joel Cohen, and he's doing... Yeah, doing, like, the... Who was the one that did the, uh, the black-and-white Shakespeare adaptation, like, between movies or something? 
Oh, Midsummer Night's about nothing or something. Oh, much to do about nothing. Yeah, that's right. It was like shot at his house, right? Yeah, who, oh, who, who did that? Who did like that? the black and white version. Uh, the Joss, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. There you go. Oh wow. It could, it could be something like that, but it does have Francis McDormand and you know Denzel. So that's what I that's what I think of when I when I see like the stuff for that movie. But I mean, obviously it's going to be bigger than that. It's Joel Cohen doing his first solo movie since Fargo. So I don't know. Obviously, yeah, so, no seen West Side Story. I'm really right. curious. Seen Licorice Pizza. What about, what are your thoughts about uh, the House of Gucci? Because I see the preview for that every freaking time I'm at the theater. Mother, father, House of Gucci. Uh, yeah, it, it just looks like all the money in the world, but you know, uh, it feels like it, it's really, it's also like 170 minutes too. I saw that. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, I think it looks terrible, but a, a lot of people are enthusiastic about that trailer. And that's I, one I mean, that nobody's seen yet. Right. I believe like that is, that, that hasn't even been at a, at a festival yet. Right. That uh, don't look up is another one. No one's seen. But yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. House of Gucci. I have mentioned on like all of these things. I, I assume Jared Leto's probably going to get nominated regardless, but I don't. It could it could be like a thirty percent of Rotten Tomatoes kind of thing and still get that nomination. So but. you have you have Dune above House of Gucci in your best picture lineup, which I found fascinating. I I would put I would flip flop those. Yeah, House, House of Gucci Gucci's got the, thirteen. House of Gucci's got the cast. It's got the marketing. It's got a lot of people who have been nominated for Oscars but haven't won any, and it's bloated and overlong. Jared Leto I, won an Oscar. Al Pacino won an Oscar. Jeremy, Irons I guess. Won an Oscar. Okay, well, uh, all right. I, I, I got Gaga and uh, Adam Driver have not. So, are are, are you are you describing Gaga won an Oscar too? Okay, but not an acting Oscar. Are are you describing House of Gucci? or Are you describing The Last Duel? Because they are both bloated, overlong, filled with people who've been nominated and have won Oscars, directed by Ridley Scott. So with Adam Driver. Well, with Adam Driver. Todd did predict, <laughs> Todd did predict uh, Jodie Comer for Best Actress. Is she uh, officially in the Best Actress race or Supporting Actress? Oh, she's Best Actress. I, she's I think that be would, actress. If they don't, if they don't market her as actress, then I think that defeats the point of the movie. Now, I will say, I think two in your Best Actress list might be going for Supporting Actress. I've heard Frances McDormand might be going for Supporting, and Katrina Balfe for Belfast. Is go, is going to be supporting? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, well, I wrote this yeah a couple weeks ago at least. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, I know I know now that yeah, Katrina Balfe is going yeah is going to be a supporting, so that's going to be wrong. But I could claim that it was right if she gets nominated there. True. But Olivia Coleman, the Lost Daughter, would be the obviously. I mean, every, people are saying that that's probably going to be like I mean, it could be another win for her just because everyone loves her. She won again for the Crown. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like how you have. Um, how you've stuck with you had Belfast winning best original screenplay back at the beginning and it's still there. You've got licorice pizza in that list uh, that that's still there. So, I mean, you made some great calls back in January power of the dog. You had win in picture and director back in January. Yeah, uh, I remember when we talked about that, Zach was like, yeah, that seems like a pretty solid, like a number 11 or 12 choice. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> And well, then, like everything I've I've looked at has a, had Power of the Dog number one for like months, and I was like, "See, I know what I'm doing." Yeah, and and reading <laughs> about the movie too, it feels like it's a movie that's going to be very receptive to Oscar voters. So I I, I agree. I personally would put Belfast number one, but I think Power of the Dog would be my one A. What about Blame the Ricardos? I mean, the trailer just came yeah. out for that. Being the Ricardos. Being the Ricardos. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought I found the trailer very interesting in that they'd never show Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball except for like one shot that's been in all the publicity. I, I mean, and I wasn't even sure they were done filming. I didn't even know if it was officially coming out this year, <laughs> but you I don't, don't know. I'm, I'm sure that movie is not going to be very good, but I mean, I mean, it could still get the screenplay nomination or whatever. Yeah, I just yeah. saw it as an interesting omission on your list because you only had it in a couple of places. Not well, screenplay, not especially ones. since it's it's Aaron Sorkin. Who directed that? Sorkin. Sorkin. Oh, it's it's written and directed by Sorkin. Okay. Yeah, he banged that out like right after Chicago Seven, apparently. Okay. My my best actor winner prediction, I think, is the most out there that I go. But yeah. I think that that is the kind of performance and the kind of movie that is going to be not really looked at as a contender until it starts like taking the national border of you best actor or something like that. And we're like, okay. This is going to be something we have to pay attention to now. And then he could just sweep all the way through being a musical with the subject matter. Lin-Manuel Miranda, everyone adores. I so you're that. talking about Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom is your, is your yes. pick. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, from what I've heard, the front runner right now is Will Smith and King Richard. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think that we said the same thing about the Pursuit of Happiness back before the award started coming out i mean the the trailer for that movie was you know brought tears everyone and it's still like he was nominated he didn't win that was 15 years ago though (laughs) i know that was the last time he made like a semi-good movie but but it's also like we're 15 years removed from that and will smith is still sitting there and i think i think it's like people are going to be willing to reward him now i mean that that was when pursuit of happiness came out it was only five years after his first nomination and now he he's the the guy who's still hanging around. That's the former movie star. That do, I, do, do people care anymore about Will Smith? That I I think the narrative's there for him to get it. However, I will say my favorite prediction of yours is I would love to see Peter Dinklage get an get a nomination for Cyrano. Yeah, well, I mean, I I that, that's the kind of thing that's going to get SAG nominations probably, and I I think. I mean, there's a chance. Everyone loves Dinklage. Like, I think him in the Game of Thrones has made everyone a fan. So I think if he gives, like, as good of performances as I think he's given in this, then I think that's a real chance. He might be, like, the best actor working right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite possible. Uh, let's see here. All right, Licorice Pizza. How good do you think this is going to be? I, I mean, I, I think it's either going to be beloved by everybody that loves PTA and everyone else isn't going to understand it, or it's going to be like universally, it's pretty good. And either way, I think it's getting nominated a couple of times. I mean, it looks like a cross between like almost famous and dazed and confused. With some boogie nights. And With some boogie nights thrown in. <laughs> there's, yeah, there, there's a, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... Um, PTA doing what he does best and having a different cast to do it. And I, I mean, I, I'm really excited. But I mean, I have it winning Best Supporting Actor for Bradley Cooper. I, apparently he's not in very much of the movie, but I still think it, it would be funny if this is what he wins for and not uh, not like any of the big Oscar begging things that he's done. Like he wins for this like tiny part in a, in a PTA movie that he had nothing else to do. 
And then I think West Side Story is a pretty big contender as well. And you don't you're, you don't seem as high on it as maybe other people. But the fact that it was marketed at last year's Oscars with the presenter of the best picture winner, I feel like has to yeah. infer some sort of preferential treatment by the Academy. But maybe I'm out on a limb. Well, and the, like, uh, then the stars of the movie, they introduced a movie at the previous Oscars too, like, a, like it was like best ritual song or something. I feel like when they, they were like shooting the movie and they like introduced, yeah, I mean, that movie's been around forever now. And I don't know, if, I just don't know if people care anymore about West Side Story, but we'll see. But I do have it number four in best picture, number five in best director. I have it, I have it showing up a few places. Yeah, you but have I, Ariana I'm... DeBose in the best supporting actress playing the role that Rita Moreno won her Oscar for. Yes. And I mean, it, I, I'm just sort of being safe with it. I don't think it's winning best picture, but I mean, it could end up getting like, you know, 12 nominations or something. The one I think that is, I think is most controversial I put in here is Mass, because that is a very low budget movie. There's basically yeah. only four characters in the movie, but everyone is in love with this movie that has seen it. And if it comes, I mean, it's in, currently getting its uh, theatrical run. If, if enough people see it, if it has like a VOD run, or something. I think it, it has a real contender to pick up like like a handful of nominations. So you have right now in your tenth spot in Best Picture, you have Nightmare Alley. Do you? So I, I've heard. I mean, the conversation is this is the new Guillermo del Toro. Is Nightmare Alley going to be the next Shape of Water or the next Crimson Peak? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's sort of just like a remake of an old detective story, it seems like. So I don't know how much fantastical stuff there's going to be in it, which is what everyone loves about uh, Guillermo del Toro. So I, I'm i skeptical. That's why I have it down that low. If people love it, then it's going to be a lot, a lot, have a lot more chance of winning some awards. But I, I would lean toward more it's a Crimson Peak type of thing. And I mean, it depends on, I mean, it does have a big cast. It depends on the, the box office, I would say. Which prediction on here do you feel the best about? Do I feel the best about what, like the nomination I feel the best about happening? Yes. Well, hmm. Judy Dench probably, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't that's know gotta that. be there. I feel like I always predict Judy Dench though. I would say. I mean, I, I don't see a scenario where um, Joaquin Phoenix is not nominated for Come On, Come On. Mm. I, I mean, I don't think he, he'll win again, but he's absolutely getting nominated for that. Yeah, uh, there that best actor lineup you've got there with Phoenix and Will Smith, Andrew Garfield, I, Caleb Landry Jones, Peter Dinklage. I think those three are kind of, kind of. They could be, they couldn't be, but I, I could see this lineup happening. But uh, but yeah, Phoenix and Smith, I, I feel like, are locks, really, at this point. Yeah, Will Smith is pretty much probably a lock, yeah. Yeah. What would be your Vegas odds on Phoenix not getting the nomination? <laughs> um, like... I don't know. That's weird. Like, so four months out, <laughs> like, what are the odds <laughs> that he he's not nominated for a movie that most? I'm just. I listen. I, would, I I think I might put money on that. It it looks it looks like an indie movie. It I'd looks say five like, to one. I mean, it's, esoteric. It's Mike Mills. We all know. love friend of the podcast. We all love beginners so much. I mean, 
I'd say five to one. He doesn't. He does not get. It nominated. just looked, the trailer looked weird. Okay, I don't know how many weird trailers always result in great Oscar nominations. I I I I took I put some money on that five to one that he's not getting nominated at this point. Sign me up. Even though overall I agree with you, I think it's more likely than not that he probably does get nominated. All right. Well. All these predictions Todd has on an article on our blog. You can check that out. Uh, find a link to it at almostsideways.com. Just click on the Oscar buzz section. You can see his predictions. You can see where he's where he started back in January, where he's at now. You can find the article. Uh, if you want to go straight to the article, almostsideways.blogspot.com will take you there. All right, let's move on. It is now time for power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And I won last last time, two weeks ago. And so I got to pick what we're doing. And I knew we were watching Dune. So I decided to, in honor of Dune, we were going to go big, broad, Definitive list here. I mean, kind of, but with all the stipulations, not really. Um, best sci-fi films of all time. Now, a couple stipulations here. We can only pick one per franchise. We can only pick one per decade. And we just talked about all our movies in our top 100. So if it was in your top 100, you had to leave it off your list. Uh, so if you want to see really what our top sci-fi movies are, go look at our top 100 list on almostsideways.com. Or listen to the podcast episodes; those were fun, uh, and uh, you could check it check it out there. But Todd and I had a very fascinating discussion uh, a couple days ago related to this list. And so, Zach, I'm going to propose a question to you before we even start this. Define sci-fi. Hmm. Uh. I'm the wrong person to ask. I was I was gonna say I'm not a huge sci-fi person, but I would. But what? Say but what makes a sci-fi story? What makes a sci-fi movie? If the characters wonder at some point whether they're human or robot, <laughs> that's that's the only. That is the, the only stipulation. That's yes. like like what makes a Karen is if you call the cops or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I think, you know, we'll make it like Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a sci-fi movie if you wonder if. whether you're a robot or not. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, so Todd and I had this discussion. And Todd, you've been asking a lot of people this question. So yeah. what, what, what have you kind of come up with? Well, for me, sci-fi is something where you're expanding on something that's unknowable, but you do it with, the, with science involved. Because I, I mean, I there are a lot of things that aren't sci-fi. They're more like, like I, like I would, I would say, like I use the example, gravity is not science fiction. That's like science reality. That's not, that's not expanding on something we don't know. That's pretty realistic. We would assume for what would happen in those kind of situations. And I don't think just being in space makes it sci-fi, which I, I've heard people say as well. So I, I mean, I'm still kind of at a loss. I don't know what all makes sci-fi. I say IMDb's. The genres sometimes are scurry, but I, I mean, I kind of went that direction. But we, we did have like a good half hour conversation with several opinions that way. Uh, yeah, still make it very vague. So so I've continued having this conversation with my wife 
who's a librarian who who views it through the scope of books more than movies. And the way she sees it, and 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 this is kind of, she says very firmly, gravity is sci-fi, because she sees it as a fiction story. Um, told with a scientific lens. So, gravity is a is a science fiction story. The you you and the di- differentiating thing here is you say it's not sci-fi because the science isn't fiction but she says it's sci-fi because the story is fiction what do you think zach uh i i uh i just want to know if i'm a robot or not (laughs) (laughs) or an or an alien or yeah yeah cyborg yeah and 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 really this is it's it's where's that line between sci-fi and fantasy so that that's really kind of an interesting spot that we're going to figure out and we're probably going to argue with each other on what's science fiction and what's fantasy throughout this. It'll be interesting. We'll see how it goes. I kind of just tried to, I tried to be as least controversial as possible. I don't know if I really succeeded, but I tried. So, uh, so yeah, that's where, that's where we're going. That's what we're doing. I think okay. you were controversial by just coming up with this list because I, I don't think any of us are huge sci-fi aficionados. So we're going to get the you know the fans out there, all all, all three of them, and they're going to hate on us for for our lists. Probably, probably. Well, those I, people should also tell us what they think sci-fi is and if ours actually qualify because we're I, probably going to argue. We're going to throw that out there and say define sci-fi, define science fiction. Zach, we're going to start with you. Give us your your number five sci-fi film. That wasn't on your top 100. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, thanks a lot, Terry. That really, really narrows it down for me, considering that I really only like about five sci-fi movies, and they're all on my top 100 list. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have some fun with this, and, and a different decade, too. We're just... Oh, yeah, one per decade. We're keeping it real here. And, of course, we, we can only pick one video game as well, which is actually a, uh, could be a challenge with this list. Anyway, I'm going uh, to the 1950s for my first pick. My number five pick, I guess I should say. I tend to like sci-fi movies that are grounded in some sort of reality, especially um, realities at the time that the film was made and maybe are making some sort of social statement. Uh, That is a recurring theme on my list. My number five movie is from 1951, directed by future Academy Award winner Robert Wise. The film is The Day the Earth Stood Still, starring Michael Rennie and Patricia Neal. And uh, I haven't seen this movie in a while, and I know it was was also part of a terrible remake with Keanu Reeves that we don't talk about. But what I do remember liking about this movie, the plot of this movie is that an alien creature named Klaatu has arrived on Earth. And basically he is there to warn uh, the human species that uh, unless they kind of clean up their act in terms of um, warfare, that they will be uh, basically destroyed by uh, alien species. Um, and I may be getting that wrong a little bit, but the movie is sort of a critique about uh, World War II. It's also a critique about the development of the atom bomb. And I remember having, when I watched the movie, it was like very clear, pretty heavy handed um, anti-nuclear weapon sentiment, which I think was kind of ballsy for a movie in the early 1950s, right before the real um, kind of nuclear uh, scares of that era. Um, I remember really liking it. Um, it's got some iconic moments in it. 
It also is uh, mentioned in the opening song in Rocky Horror Picture Show. So that is also a feather in my cap. Um, and uh, yeah, in terms of 50s sci-fi, you know, it's corny, but it's fun corny. And, you know, it's got a social message. So I'm all for it. Let's do it. Number five, Day There's Swift Still. I have not seen any iteration of the Day the Earth Stood Still. I remember watching it in grad school and 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 really digging it. It was fun. All right, all right. Todd, I'm guessing you haven't seen it either. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I know I didn't watch the remake. No, I have not seen that one. I mean, it sounded like something I had seen from the 50s, but that's not the one it was. And it's just a little stupid. It's, like, not too far away from, like, Ed Wood territory watching it today. But it's, like, fun, you know? And, yeah, it, it iconic. Iconic, iconic enough to get remade. Nice. Nice. All right, I'm going to go next. Uh, for my number five, I'm just going to say, I, I kind of hate my list, but we're... Whatever, we're going with it. My number five is probably going to be, yeah. My number five, I'm going with the 2020s in uh, a selection from this year, actually. And uh, it is uh, the, I was trying to stay away from animated because like Disney animated movies that like are a whole different category of potential sci-fi. So no Wally? Well, Wally's in my top 100. Oh, that's true. So that's what animated. I did go with was from 2021. The Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, oh. Now, this movie it is uh, it is a Netflix animated movie about a girl who is really into technology and movie making, and she is on her way to college. And her parents, who are trying to connect with her, decide to take her on a road trip to college, and and see if they can rekindle some of their relationship they had when they were younger. And during that road trip, uh, all robots become uh, uh, just start to understand. And uh, and we have the robot apocalypse that takes place in the middle of their road trip. And for some reason, they're the only ones that survive the initial kill order of every human being on Earth or not really a kill order, but they they're captured. And uh yeah, this movie is insane and ridiculous and so much freaking fun. Uh, the mom and dad are played by Danny McBride and Maya Rudolph. Uh, you've got uh, Eric Andre is in there. Olivia Coleman plays the voice of like the the leader of the robots. Uh, Fred Armisen is in there. Beck Bennett, Chrissy Teigen, John Legend, Blake Griffin, Charlene Yee. Conan has a voice in there. This is an insane cast and it's an insane story it is insanely ridiculous but it's so much fun of how you turn this like family comedy road trip i mean it's like if in the middle of national lampoon's vacation you have the robot apocalypse that's kind of what happens in this movie and it is it is a blast it it uh it kind of takes some of the charm of like a spider-man into the spider-verse and throws it into the the robot apocalypse with a family dynamic road trip comedy so uh if you haven't seen it yet the mitchells versus the machines it's a whole lot of fun and i threw it in there because i i could throw in a 2020 movie or 2020s movie and it'd be worth it so there you go nice i really thought you were going with the tomorrow war for a second no we'll talk more about that later <laughs> really disappointed 
All right. I honestly can't believe I would have never thought of that movie. <laughs> have you seen that one? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of fun and and stuff, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't, and I like like you said, I, I animation, I I wasn't thinking for sci-fi. But th- this is like as as close to like a a true sci-fi, uh, other than like Wally that you could come up with from anime. A- or like some anime like Akira well, or something. Yeah, anime is different, but yeah. Okay, Todd, number five. Uh, so similar to Zach, I went old. I went with 1935's *The Bride of Frankenstein*, Ooh. which uh, is like takes place kind of after the first one, where they like realize everyone sort of survived, and so Doctor Frankenstein makes a uh, a companion, a female companion for Frankenstein. And I, I love these old monster movies, but this is absolutely the best one. And I it is that is feels more sci-fi than the ones that would come out like late like if. If these movies were being made now, it would be more horror and less sci-fi. This actually absolutely is a sci-fi movie, and it's a lot of fun. It's only seventy-five minutes long. I mean, it it the, those old monster movies. I mean, I know Adams covered them a lot on his uh, on his daily notes and stuff. But yeah, The Bride of Frankenstein. I'm going with number five because I needed another decade other than the ones that had all the great sci-fi <laughs> movies. That was really the trick, wasn't it? Yeah. So you chose the 2020s. Quinch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. All right. Number four, Zach. All right, I'm going to the 1990s for my list. 1997, classic movie, and I'm not allowed to say it because uh, Todd forbade me from saying it, and so did Terry. So I'm going with another 1997 sci-fi movie that was also very good, although not quite as good as maybe the other one. Um, And this is Gattaca. Really cool movie about uh, eugenics and kind of DNA processing. the story stars Ethan Hawke, and uh, what I like about Ethan Hawke in this movie is that he's essentially a wimp. He's sort of a loser in this movie. He's not someone that, you know, in the Darwinian scheme of things would uh, succeed very well, survival of the fittest type thing. And it takes place in a world where basically the DNA can be adjusted so that we can spawn and produce uh, the perfect uh, creatures, uh, the perfect, most ideal uh, human uh, forms. And uh, what I like about it is that it's also sort of an action movie because it's about sort of thievery and kind of getting into this big headquarters where the DNA is processed and generated. Um, We've got some really nice uh, action sequences in the movie, but it's also a thoughtful movie about uh, eugenics and about the, I don't know, philosophy behind um, human engineering, DNA engineering. And again, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember really liking it and uh, a movie that obviously kind of launched the career of Andrew Nichol, who would later go on to write The Truman Show, among other things. And uh, yeah, just, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman. We know Todd's going to give it a thumbs up. And uh, early Jude Law performance, too. Uh, it's it's a fun movie. I remember really liking it. Yeah, that's a great choice. I, I was struggling with some Andrew Nichol stuff. I mean, like, there are even ways that The Truman Show could almost be sci-fi. But, I mean, it depends on how much sci-fi needs to be in the movie to make it a sci-fi movie. But... Gattaca yeah, that, was that, absolutely what I was discussing. That that would be that would be cutesy to call that a sci-fi movie, but I don't know. I remember, and and I think it has a really cool title too, because Gattaca, the the, the name Gattaca comes from all the different parts of the DNA strand. By the way, I was gonna for, I forgot to mention something in Dune. My favorite thing about Dune was the opening credit uh, typography. I thought that was really awesome. The way that all those letters looked kind of circular and uh, had a great design. One thing I was gonna say about Gattaca was. In the league, uh, 
Rafi go, comes out screaming, Gattaca, Gattaca. And when he's thinking he's saying Attica, but he says Gattaca. And he's like, I don't think he'd be saying that. That movie kind of sucked. You stole it from me. Yeah, he was there when they were playing paintball. He goes running after people yelling Gattaca, <laughs> thinking he's saying Attica. Uh, That's a great, great show. It's a great moment. Great show. Best sitcom of the last 15 years, maybe. And I have not seen Gattaca. So really, that's all I ever think of when I hear it is Rafi shouting it, playing paintball. Okay, my number four. Uh, this was a hard one. It's my 2000s pick. And I had some good some good choices. And one of them, I wasn't sure if it technically was sci-fi or not. So I stayed away from it. And so I went with, from 2009, District 9 Merlo. is my number four. Uh, yeah. The, Merlo. The, uh, Oh, Merlot, man. Nice. Never mind. I don't get to talk about it then. All right. District 9 over Avatar. Well, is Avatar Avatar's in, in my top, top 100. 100? Okay, there we go. That explains yeah. it. Now, I, I will say, so since he, he Merloted, I will say the one I chose District 9 over was Moon. Mm. That would have been a good one, too. Yeah. But that that's like borderline. I mean, is it, real, is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? I don't know, because... Probably sci-fi, but Moon Moon is awesome too. Great Sam Rockwell performance, where he basically is the entire movie, other than the the you know disembodied voice of Kevin Spacey. All right, Todd, number four. My number four comes from the '90s. It is um, directed by uh what was it it's a spanish movie directed by alejandro uh, aminaba aminabar and it is uh open your eyes which was re- uh, later remade as sky. middle of sky mm. um which is about a sort of playboy who gets in a bad accident and he has his face like disfigured and reconstructed and he can't remember why and it, it's really futuristic and the one thing that stuck with me or that, that i remember about this movie was that cameron crowe said in an interview that the reason why he made vanilla sky was that he, because he watched open your eyes and he could not get it out of his head for like a year. And so he said, the only way I could do this is to do it again myself. And that's why I made vanilla sky, which I actually also think is an amazing movie. Um, but open your eyes. It's, it's, it's twisty. It's definitely got that sort of like cold futuristic feel. And uh, it's absolutely sci-fi. And I, I, I love open your eyes and vanilla sky, but, this is the nineties and I needed a, a nineties movie. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Thank you. You wanted to pick vanilla sky. So you went with the, uh, the movie it remade that was in a different decade. I like it. Yes. Well, I mean, they're, <laughs> I think they're both equally good. Like vanilla sky is seriously underrated. I don't know what critics were thinking. All right. Zach, number three. Okay. For my number three, I'm going with the 2010s. And a movie that I know Adam enjoys because it was in his top 100. Movie I enjoyed very much too. Didn't quite make my top 100. And that is Ex Machina from 2014. Written and directed by Alex Garland. One of the great uh, sci-fi screenwriters uh, and filmmakers of this decade. Although I know Todd didn't like Annihilation as much. But Ex Machina Machina is, uh, I think, one of the strengths of the sci-fi genre is when you can get um, a story that only involves a few characters, and this movie only has four speaking roles in it, if I remember correctly. Domhnall Gleeson and Oscar Isaac are the two main characters in the movie. Oscar Isaac plays this kind of very charismatic CEO who uh, is launching uh, a uh, 
brand of robots that he has custom designed. And Dalmal Gleason is his beta tester who he invites into his secluded house. And Alicia Vikander in one of her breakout roles is Ava, who is the robot. Uh, the movie, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm your, I'm your man kind of touched on this, but you know, this movie even did a better job of kind of posing philosophical questions about, you know, the ethics of engineering a robotic species. Um, and also the idea of, uh, you know, whether that species has or what, whether robots are really truly capable of representing themselves. Uh, the Turing test is a major feature of this movie, whether a robot is able to disguise itself as a human. Um, and there's a great dance sequence, too. And I love any time that you get an engineer who's willing to just be in a wife beater and drink some beer. So uh, shout out to Isaac, Oscar Isaac, who's having a pretty good 2021, I must say. Um, and a really, really enjoyable movie um, that I think has aged pretty well and uh, has truly a great dance sequence in it, which more sci-fi movies honestly need. If you can't tell, I like I like my sci-fi movies to be a little lighter, you know, a little bit more energetic, a little more fun. I think we needed a good uh, Oscar Isaac dancing sequence in Dune. I think that was definitely missing, but maybe uh, maybe the sequel. Who knows? So so uh, Ex Machina was not in Adam's top 100. Oh, interesting. Okay, it was not in anybody's top 100. However, it is our number four movie of 2015 overall. So there's that. I like it. All right. Number three on my list. Uh, I think everyone was like required, uh, required themselves to go old school for at least one pick. And so I did the same. Number three on my list goes back to the 1930s. 1933's King Kong. Uh, this is an awesome movie. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of the 2005 Peter Jackson one. And everyone's like, that that didn't like it was like, why is there like dinosaurs? And why does this happen? And the answer is because he almost made a shot for shot remake of the 1933 version, just with good effects and uh, made it epic. Because the 1933 version has insane effects for the 30s. Uh, and you've got an amazing performance by K, uh, by Faye Ray as the, uh, as the, main character as and darrow and the yeah kong in this it it's insane you go back and watch it now and you're like how did they do this in the 30s it, it makes no sense how they were able to do this in the 30s and it's a great story um just the whole the whole thing the whole king kong story in itself the original story is is amazing and uh yeah this movie all i have is respect for it because of how they were able to make it as amazing as they did back then. So that's number three on my list. Is it a sci-fi movie? It, it, it is, it is listed on IMDb as sci-fi and yes, it mm -hmm. is. I'm saying it's sci-fi. Yep. We're going sci-fi. Okay. Yep. All right. Todd, number three. So my number three was district nine. Which ah, there we go. Yep. Which is uh, it's about these aliens that are being held held in some like sort of uh, camps in South Africa. Um, I mean, and it's obviously a, a commentary on apartheid and stuff like that. But it was directed by Neil Blomkamp. This movie came out of kind of nowhere. Like I know that he's like a student of Peter Jackson, but like I remember when this trailer first came out, I didn't know what it was about at all necessarily because the trailer was really weird. And then when you started watching it, it's immediately just like, this is like, 
fight club level <laughs> intensity throughout and that and they never lets up it's like half documentary ish feel and then it's just like amazing chase sequences it's obviously the great political commentary and and then Charlotte copley somehow was like a thing after this because this movie was a monster hit and i remember the midnight showing of this like i was completely floored and i thought this was maybe my number one of uh, 2009 it's it's a fantastic movie yeah, you're right. This one really came out of nowhere and made, yeah, made Charlton Copley a thing for a while there. I don't know what he's doing now, but, uh, or what Neil Blomkamp's doing now. He came out of nowhere on this even. Uh, yeah, just everything about this movie was fascinating. It's political commentary. Um, it's special effects and how just real and down to earth they felt the whole time. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was a brilliant movie. And like the weirdest best picture nominee of all time. But one that you have to respect. Like the... Absolutely. It was like it was like once that came out, like the first group of ten that they had, and this this fell into it, it's like, okay, so this is what we're gonna be getting now. Awesome. Neil Blomkamp actually has a movie out this year. What? That is a drama horror sci-fi. That currently has a four point three or four point two on IMDb called Demonic. Now I want to know what his uh, Star Wars Episode Nine was going to look like because wasn't he the original no. one that was supposed to do Episode Nine? No. Or was it Trevorrow? It was, it was Colin Trevorrow. Trevorrow. Um, I mean, but I, I mean, it would have been interesting. I don't know that he would have gotten another sci- big sci-fi movie greenlit after Elysium kind of flopped. Yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, didn't he do Chappie? Yeah, Chappie. Oh, yeah. classic. Yeah. District Nine. District Nine was his baby. It was a remake of his own short story. I mean, it, that movie is something else. And I honestly thought Charlotte Copley had a lot in common with Edward Norton because I mean, he, he acts the same. Like the movie feels like Fight Club when I'm watching it. Just like adrenaline the whole time. Love that movie. Yep. I like it. I like it. All right, Zach, number two. Okay, my number two, I'm going to the 2000s, a movie that uh, I've struggled with for a lot of my life because I saw it in a theater when it came out. Actually, did I? Maybe I saw it on video. I don't know. Um, And the website has it listed as me giving it three stars. I don't stand by that. I think it's a movie that's actually aged really well. I've watched it recently. I think it it is way better than I could have possibly understood it as a 17-year-old. Just something to say about a sci-fi movie. It's a movie that blends relationships and comedy and whimsy with a great sci-fi sort of concept. And that is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh... Fantastic movie. Uh, a movie that I, one, of the, one of the barriers I have sometimes with sci-fi is that it's really hard to connect uh, the human element of sci-fi with um, you know some sort of uh, emotional connection that you have as a viewer. And watching Eternal Sunshine again, as I, I did in the last couple of years, uh, it's really relatable um, to anybody who's been in relationships or even had friendships or family, um, but have also kind of suffered, I don't know, traumatic uh, incidents or maybe uh, dissolutions of those relationships or friendships, and you are eager to maybe change the past. And uh, the concept, of course, is that Jim Carrey uh, is uh, someone who's been in a relationship with Kate Winslet and is eager to, but the relationship has not gone well and they are they've since separated and uh he is eager to remove any memory that he has of her so he goes to dr howard mirziak played by tom wilkinson to have a memory removal process uh which at the last minute he decides to abort 
Uh, brilliant movie. Uh, great concept. Um, also has a great uh, trailer, uh, which is also the promo for Lacuna Industries video. Uh, but uh, I love the interplay between, you know, the, the, the chases through Jim Carrey's mind with Kate Winslet, but then you actually um, have some parallel action with the Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, and Kirsten Dunst characters who are kind of messing with the system. Um, it's a perfect blend of Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones, but you also get the antics of Jim Carrey in one of his best performances. And Kate Winslet, I think, is every bit deserving for her Best Actress nomination that year. Awesome movie. One of the one of the best, uh, you know, Charlie Kaufman creations you could imagine. Um, and uh, a great choice. I, I, I hold it high esteem. Number two sci-fi movie of all time. Why not? That's a good call. That's a good call. And I, and I agree. It's it's one that's definitely aged well. Yes. Why didn't they invite Jim Carrey back last night as Joe Biden, Terry? I, th I think he's the best Joe Biden. I I don't, the, got, new I guy, the new guy is kind of creepy in, in his impression of him, though. I, it's pretty good. The new guy's pretty good. I think the new guy got added to the cast simply because of his Joe Biden impression. Probably. <clears throat> All right. Number two on my list. We're going to the 80s. And this was a tough one. Because there are, there are several good, really good potentially sci-fi franchises in the 80s that started in the 80s or finished in the 80s. But what do you actually call sci-fi and what don't you call sci-fi? I thought about going with like Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, but Star Wars is debatable whether it's sci-fi or not. And I could have done that, but I didn't. I thought about going with Ghostbusters, because go but that, I mean, is that sci-fi? Is it fantasy? I don't know. So I decided to go with the Terminator because I mean, that's undeniably amazing, undeniably sci-fi. Uh, and, and the original, the original Terminator was in the eighties, 1984. Uh, James Cameron, who is one of the masters of sci-fi sci in general. Uh, you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Terminator out to destroy Sarah Connor played by Linda Hamilton because of what she is going to do in the future. Uh, it is, it's a brilliant movie. Uh, and it, I, I still have only seen the first two. I need to see more. Uh, but, uh, it's just the, the way it builds that universe. I mean, it, you'd think Villeneuve could maybe learn a lesson because Villeneuve decided to take like the first hour of the movie and just spend it building the universe and nothing else and no action happening. We're just going to explain everything to you and spend an hour doing it where something like what Cameron does is he builds the universe throughout the telling of his story, uh, which is, which works really well here because it's an action packed movie. And um, Schwarzenegger makes a really good robot. Uh, so uh, yeah. that helps too. So my, yeah, my number two is the Terminator. I'm glad I made you watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I just need to I need to keep going on the series. I've only watched the first two. Judgment Day is probably better, but I have something else I want to talk about for the 90s. So, yeah. Todd, number two. My number two also comes from the 80s uh, and also robot or not robot. It is Blade Runner from 1982, directed by Ridley Scott, which is probably his second best movie. But what I love about this movie is it's essentially like a film noir, but set in the future. And 
I think Ridley Scott did a better job here at doing like the big kind of movie better than he did ever because this you auto you automatically know what kind of movie you're watching when you started and it, it took th- what 35 years before the second one came out and people still were trying to analyze what was going on in this movie like like is he is he uh, a replicant is he not a replicant and it took for him to be now like 90 years old to actually say you know the answer to that I mean and that's just because like this movie is so awesome there's been like several cuts of it and I'm I, I don't really care which cut I'm watching. I've seen like three of them, and it's a, it's a fascinating movie. It, it is a lower budget, like beautiful sci-fi, and uh, really dark, really disturbing. And Harrison Ford, maybe his best work is is in these two uh, in the two Blade Runner movies, but I, I've always preferred the first one. Blade Runner number two. The reason I never saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine is because I always wanted to rewatch the first one. Uh, and I never got around to it because I don't remember enough about it. But I need to do that. That's fair. Yeah. I can respect it, though. I like the sequel better. Mm. I, I, You know, Blade Runner to me is one of those movies that's it's the, it's the go-to example of a movie that it depends on which version you're watching. And a movie that is the is the best example of why director's cuts suck. Because... Even though the director's cut might have been better than the theatrical cut, we'll never have the definitive answer to what that movie truly consists of. That's fair. That's fair. All right, Zach, number one. Well, for better or for worse, all of our top movies, or at least in this rung here, are are coming from the 80s. Um, I think Blade Runner actually kind of aged badly. It's clearly not... uh, the, The technology they were going with in that movie was not... It just looked kind of clunky. So the 80s movie that I'm going with for my number one pick is not on my top 100 list. I'm not sure why. It's a beloved classic. It is Back to the Future. Because, again, Uh. if you're going with sci-fi, there has to be a human element to the story. And so Marty McFly and Doc Brown, I mean, they are wonderful, beloved characters. I've never seen Rick and Morty. Actually, I've seen like 15 minutes of it, and I thought it was pretty bad. So Back to the Future is uh, obviously the the, the origin story we want to go with. Uh, what's so wonderful about Back to the Future? First of all, I love the beginning of the movie with all of the, the opening shot of all the clocks in Doc Brown's experimental area. Um, you have no idea what this movie is going to be about at all, except that it has to do with time in some capacity. Uh, I think the movie is a great, I, I mentioned earlier with my with uh, one of my picks, you know, social commentary. I mean, Back to the Future is very much about how we perceive nostalgia in the 1950s. Um, it's also very edgy because it's about an incestuous relationship between mother and son. Hey, I can't think of another mainstream movie outside of France that has ever touched that taboo topic. Uh, it has uh, some great uh, lines and, and concepts about time travel. Ronald Reagan's president? Are you kidding me? He's a doctor. Um, and uh, it has that wonderful, memorable sequence when uh, Marty plays the music on the guitar, on the electric guitar. It's just a little bit, uh, not quite, uh, these people are not quite ready for that yet. Um, it's got a poignant ending, fantastic music, fantastic direction by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, it's an iconic movie that I think people of all ages still like, even those who weren't born in the 80s, even those who were born in the 2000s can appreciate because it's such a fun concept. And I think it ruined all other time travel movies because it's the bar by which we judge all others. So... It's a classic. You got to go with it. Good call. Good call. Yep. 
and somehow not in my top 100. So was AI in your top 100? No, AI was not in my top 100. I was contemplating putting it on the list, but I, I, I am a fan of that too. movie. I didn't, I didn't talk about that one. I didn't even consider it. I don't know how I missed it. I love AI. That's a great movie. <clears throat> All right. My number one comes from the 90s. And again, it wasn't in my top 100. And I really don't know why. Um, apparently, I only gave it three and a half stars originally. It, it needs to be a four-star movie. It, it's as classic as they come when it comes to sci-fi. It spawned an entire franchise, but the original is still the best. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't you can't beat Jurassic Park. I mean, it is it is so good in again creating a world and and explaining how it works and then watching it all fall apart. Uh, you've got amazing performances. You've got amazing CGI. I mean, what what Steven Spielberg was able to do was with combining the CGI with the practical effects that, that make up this movie. Uh, it, it's still amazing to look back on, even though it's almost 30 years ago now. Uh, it, it's brilliant, brilliant movie, brilliant storytelling. And, uh, and everyone loves dinosaurs. So it, it, it makes it that much better. So my number one Jurassic park. Your whole way describing that, I really thought you were going with The Matrix. I thought about that one, too. World building, 90s, spawned a whole franchise. Yeah. How am I not having this in my top 100? That was The Matrix. Yeah, but I went with Jurassic Park, which means I did not pick a movie uh, from the 2010s, which I don't, I don't know. My number one comes from the 2010s. Well, there you go. And similar to Zach, it is a time travel movie, probably the second best time travel movie of all time. That is Looper, directed mm, by Ryan yeah. Johnson, which that that's another one for me. I went in not knowing a whole lot, and other than the fact that Joe Scorn-Levitt was going to play a younger version of Bruce Willis, and that movie floored me. I absolutely love everything about Looper. It's, it's, a, it's got some really big... Um, like painful action set pieces but it's also like a really like grounded drama at the same time in the midst of all this like crazy sci-fi time traveling stuff the cast is awesome there's one of the emily blunt like really badass roles and uh, in there as well and uh i i've i've seen Luke for probably five times it's it it, it is endlessly rewatchable and i it had to be my number one of the 2012 of the the number one sci-fi movie in the 2010s and which i think had actually a lot of really good sci-fi movies it's a great pick also a great kansas movie i remember when that movie came out i think people thought it looked bad like it must not have had a good trailer and the idea that that jgl and bruce willis would be the same person was a little ridiculous and it did it kicked ass it's a great pick there's like there's like a five minute scene where Emily Blunt is just taking an axe at like a pile of wood, and I'm like just like damn, why is this so fascinating to watch? Ryan Johnson's a great filmmaker. We should have a power ranking of most surprising movies because I don't think anyone would have thought that that movie was as good as it ended up because that was before Ryan Johnson was really a household name. When it was it was in the resurgence of Joseph Gordon-Levitt because like right. I remember the the one that would qualify for that for me is The Lookout because that that was the movie that that was really like the JGL movie that that hit and, and that movie again like 
trailer was I don't know, but like the movie kicked ass. And the and Bruce Willis hadn't done anything in a real long time. He was at a real just the Die Hard, the horrible Die Hard sequels by that point. Mm-hmm. And Red. Mm-hmm. Looper would have been, been on my list, but it was in my top 100. Well, there we go. Wow, I forgot yeah. about that. Well, yep, it was in my respect. top 100. Yeah, it was. Let's see here. It was it was in the bottom half, but it, it was number seventy four on my top one hundred. Between Fight Club and The Godfather Part Two, that's pretty good company to be in. That's good company to be in. Uh, yeah, better better uh, badass Emily Blunt performance, uh, Looper or Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, those are the two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would go I mean, Devil Wears Prada. More badass and. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> she she I I she's more badass in Edge of Tomorrow probably. But That's one I probably should have stopped considered. looking at her as, you know. This is the girl from Sunshine Cleaning? What? <laughs> if I had remembered Edge of Tomorrow, I, I hadn't thought of it, but if I'd remembered it, that might have made my list. All right. Well, let's recap our list 5 to 1 and talk about some of the ones that just missed before we uh we try and guess Adam's list. So, Zach recap 5 to 1. Number five, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Number four, Gattaca. Number three, Ex Machina. Number two, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And number one, Back to the Future. And for me, number five, Mitchells versus the Machines. Number four, District Nine. Number three, King Kong. Number two, The Terminator. And number one, Jurassic Park. Todd. See, that was way less controversial than you made it seem like. That's actually a pretty <laughs> decent list. Uh, number five, the Bride of Frankenstein, number four, Open Your Eyes, number three, District Nine, number two, Blade Runner, and number one, Looper. All right. Zach, what just missed? I love the movie Metropolis, uh, the Fritz mm. Lang movie from the 20s. I just don't remember much of it, but obviously an iconic, influential sci-fi movie. I love it even so much that uh, I liked the anime remake of it in the early 2000s. Um, I also really like the movie Primer. The indie movie mm. from the the Seth, Seth uh, Shane Carruth. Uh, I, the movie costs like five hundred dollars to make, and uh, it, it's I think a really cool movie that's also very much about time travel. And then I, I did have Gravity and um, AI, artificial intelligence mentioned. Can I mention the movies on my top one hundred that I would have included on this? Absolutely, list? because the two that really come to mind are Minority Report and Contact, my two favorite uh, sci-fi movies of all time. And putting right. Star Wars, I mean, we might as well say, let's just not put Star Wars on the list because obviously those movies would all be, you know, should be mentioned. Right, right. Well, and and one and one per franchise, so yeah, that was part of it too. So yeah, I almost went with, I like, I almost went with Return of the Jedi because Star Wars, like Episode Four, was on my was on my top one hundred, but. Oh, and I uh, just one more. I wanted to mention the Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, because it's technically two um, movies. It's the, the movie, but then the movie they're parroting is This Island Earth, which is a sci-fi movie. And uh, yeah, that's obviously a great gimmick pick, but also a sci-fi movie technically. Yeah. Okay, so uh, on my list, uh, some of the ones I considered but didn't put on, uh, or ones I just want to mention that are great sci-fi movies that no one ever talks about, like Super 8. I loved Super 8. I thought that was a great one. Uh, I mentioned Moon already. Uh, in the 90s, I had a few that I was thinking of. Obviously, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Edward Scissorhands. Could okay. kind of be sci-fi. It's kind of on that border. Um, being John Malkovich. Mm. 
mm-hmm. is kind of on that border too. Again, why I didn't pick it. Uh, another one from the eighties I didn't pick because it's kind of on that border. Big. Is a body swap movie? Does that make it fantasy or does that make it sci-fi? It's not body swap necessarily. But it's Freaky it's, Friday sci-fi. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's why I didn't go with it. It was a little too about those. <laughs> it, it was a little too suspect, but um, but yeah, that was one I was thinking. Another one that was uh that I was thinking maybe Palm Springs is Palm Springs sci-fi. That you could make the case for because there's a lot of discussion in that movie about the physics of time travel. So I think that yeah, would make yeah. the pick a little more justified. She has like several years of research how to do that. Yeah. And then and then one more that that I was like, I, I didn't know whether to consider it or not. Um, the one potentially sci-fi movie you could say one best picture, and that's The Shape of Water. Is that sci-fi though? Or is it fantasy? See, I think it's more fantasy. What does IMDb say? I, I would say fantasy, but I, I IMDb says fantasy. Yeah. All right. Todd, what do you what do you it does have, have for sci-fi him? listed number five on their genre list? But okay. <laughs> um. So the ones on my top one hundred that I couldn't say were Battle Royale, which uh, I don't. I still not understanding how that's just intend like actually sci-fi, but apparently it, it has. Some yeah, that doesn't make element. any sense. Well, may, I, I guess maybe like the the like tracking and the sensors and the yeah. the neck necklaces. I don't know. Futuristic, uh, whatever. Uh, Terminator Two: Judgment Day. I couldn't choose Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back, which would make the only Star Wars movie that I probably would have chosen be The Last Jedi. But I had Looper, so I couldn't have two Ryan Johnson movies on there. Um. <laughs> Plus, they both would have been from the 2010s. Uh, I also was considering Planet Terror, uh, Gattaca. Oh, Planet Air- Terror's a great call. Aliens, because yeah. Aliens is better than Alien. Um, then there were like more subtle sci-fi, like Her and Take Shelter, and a really indie movie I, I really like called Sleep Dealer. And I also wanted to mention uh, Frankie Fitz and uh, Lester Burnham's favorite movie, Reanimator. Uh, because that is awesome. Maybe not deserving of this list, but it deserves to be on there. All right. Now let's try and guess Adam's list. I have no clue where he went with this. But four of the ones I had considered were ones on his top 100, so I had to change a whole lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I I texted him and said, did you, because this was a last-minute change of saying you couldn't pick a top 100. So I texted him and said, did you pick top 100 movies? And he said, yes. And I said, well, either let me know that I need to tell everyone that or fix it. And he said, I'll fix it. So this oh, was boy. like a last minute switch for his list, too. So that doesn't bode well for my list. Yeah. All right, Zach. Uh, I don't have Palm Springs on that list, but now I I, I can't. <laughs> can, I, can I make it my William Howard Taft pick of his list? Sure. OK, sure. great. Uh, number five, I went with 2001, Out of Respect. Number four, The Terminator. Number three, Ex Machina. Number two, Jurassic Park. And number one, Wally. All right. I have uh, number one, The Wolfman from the 40s. Mm. Uh, number four, Wally. Number three, The Force Awakens. Number two, Jurassic Park. Number one, The Terminator. I had number five, The Terminator. Number four, Tenet. Number three, The Matrix. Ooh. Number two, District Nine. And number one, Blade Runner 2049. All right. 
Oh. Here we go. Honorable one. mentions. He has Arrival, Ex Machina, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, oh, Eternal yeah, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, The Fifth Element, and Dune. Like the Dune. Like 2020's Dune, yeah. All right, number five from the 1960s, 2001, A Space Odyssey. All right. You got three stars. I number out of respect. <laughs> number four from the 1990s, The Matrix. I got that one. Ah, uh, come on. I went with Jurassic Park. Come Me too. on. Number three from the 2000s, Moon. Over number two nine. from the 1980s, The Terminator. Mm-hmm. And number one from the 2010s, Ceiling Todd's Win, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, I got three. I think I got one. <laughs> and that was the Terminator. I forgot, Terminator. I forgot his love of Blade Runner 2049. This is number one of that year. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that completely. But yet somehow didn't make his top 100. Yeah. Bummer. Okay, so Todd wins. Todd gets fixed and Gets to pick the next power rankings in a couple weeks. I have 36 and a half. Zach has 22 and Terry has 19. I'm almost into the 20s. All right, let's move on to trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And I won trivia, which means I'm hosting trivia. And I also got to assign you guys something to watch. And I assigned both of you the same thing to watch. So let's hear about what you watched. Since Zach had to start Dune, Todd gets to start The Tomorrow War. Okay. The Tomorrow War was it is a fair. movie from 2021 directed by Chris McKay. <laughs> it is um, about time travelers from... 2051 who come to the present day to tell people that they need help with this alien war that they are losing and so they start drafting people into the future to help fight for the you know the future and present and past of mankind i guess chris pratt is the star of the movie he's a science teacher and a former green beret he's named dan uh betty gilpin plays his wife yvonne strahovski is colonel forrester who's like the commander sort of of the human army J.K. Simmons is Dan's father, who's just like total badass anti-government former Vietnam soldier. <laughs> and the aliens are known as White Spikes, and they seemingly appeared into like 2048 and started executing like the human race. But we find out more about them as the movie goes along, I guess. The it looks a lot like uh, Terminator Salvation, I feel like, which is to say it looks really bad in the future and really fake and it's like everything in the future, but it also is clearly remaking that franchise, which is clear because of like some things you've come to know about the characters that they're in the movie. Chris Pratt is fun to watch in movies, but I think he is really miscast here. It is a, this is an old Tom Cruise type of role. This is not this is not a yeah. Chris Pratt role. This is like Pratt is too goofy. This is like more of an Aaron Taylor Johnson kind of thing where he would have made it more believable, like because Pratt takes away all the tension because he's just too but he still thinks he's star lord like when he's making this <laughs> or andy <laughs> is that is that his character in what parks and rec parks and rec, rec. Parks and rec. well Yvonne strahovsky i always like i think she's kind of amazing this she is like totally hardcore 
I, I mean, I never thought she was an action star, but I think she could have some of those like Emily Blunt, Charlize Theron kind of roles because I, mean, I think she's pretty good in this. I mean, and, and like Edge of Tomorrow would be the, the uh, it has a lot of similarities with that because it's, it's basically a video game and how the action scenes are shot. But uh, uh, I, I think, uh, it, yeah, the movie has a lot in common with that movie, I guess. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see also that the movie has a lot of comedic actors in there. Uh, the, even that one guy that she like gets caught with in promising young woman, uh, is like a serious, like a really main character in this, which I, I, I thought was strange. I'd never seen that guy in anything else, but I know that he's like a stand up comic and uh, there's a lot of science in the movie, which I respect, but the action scenes are kind of boring. The sound mixing is way off. The, the action's way too loud. The dialogue's way too soft. And it tries to be something of like a more contained and pointed thing like District 9, but the commentary uh, or like, I mean, I don't know, like perhaps the issue. Like you can't take it seriously because he, he he's good at what he does. It's just not here. And the last 40 minutes are really weird. The last battle scene is bad. Like, I, I don't know why that thing had to be so indestructible. And I don't know why it had to like bite its own arm off to try to stay alive. Like n none of that shit made any sense. It's a bizarre movie. It's fun, but it, it's like kind of spoiled by the end, and it's like funny, but it's also kind of conceited, and it's watchable, but you wouldn't necessarily feel good about watching it. I'm giving it two and a half stars because I didn't necessarily get bored, but I was just like, this is, this is, this is weird. It's a weird movie. All right, all right, Zach. Okay, so when you assigned this, Terry, I was really upset. You know, I saw the the the, the cover of it. And I saw Chris Pratt was in it, and I also saw the running length, and I was like, what, does Terry just want to punish us? I mean, this is terrible. I don't know whether Terry is an evil genius or just a genius. This is an amazing movie. We should have talked about this instead of Dune. I wrote so many notes for this movie. I wrote three notes for Dune. I had like 30 <laughs> notes for this movie. This movie is so fascinating. I have so many questions about it. First of all, um, the casting in this movie. How does this movie not have Michelle Rodriguez, Robin Wright Penn, and Anthony Mackie? And you know the exact roles I'm talking about. For those <laughs> actors. Yeah. Um, how old is J.K. Simmons in this movie? He says he was in Nam. That must make him like 90 <laughs> years old because this movie takes place in 2023, like those scenes. Um, they're called the White Strikes. I kept every time they mentioned that, I kept on thinking the White Stripes, like Jack White and Meg Wright. Like I kept on the White Spikes, right? White Spikes, excuse me. Yeah, um, that is pretty close though. Yeah, yeah. I love that Randy from Love is in this. Todd, you know who that is. And I, oh, I yeah, yeah. No, he I, survives I, I, or not. That's what I thought. I was <laughs> like, he's, he's, he's awesome. I love that he got drafted. Yeah, they're and that all leads, comedic actors, like all that, the supporting people. It's like that leads me to my favorite thing bad. about this movie, which is the idea that only people over forty would be drafted. To save humanity. So I spent a good 30 minutes of this movie not paying attention to it, drafting my list. And here's what I came up with. <laughs> no, number one draft pick, obviously Tom Brady. But we also have The Rock, Brad Pitt, Charlize Theron, Jesse the Body Ventura, Dolph Lundgren, Jane Fonda, Ed Hockley, Arlie Ermey, Greg Popovich, Simon Baker because he's 43, Mike Gundy because he's 40 and he's a man, the lead actor from Dear Evan Hansen, the host of Fiction Impossible, <laughs> Pai May, and for purely comedic purposes, Bill Murray. That's the movie I want to see. And then, and then, so, uh, you know, I read my wife this list and she's like, well, we should make a, a list in real life of people who we would draft. 
So I thought this was a curious list because I, I told her all these people and then she started drafting people <laughs> that she would just want dead because so many people die in the future. So that's well, another great idea. Die or something, yeah. Exactly. They don't make it out. <laughs> another question I had in this movie, why didn't they just put a bunch of like, like uh, black mambas in this time warp? Because aren't, you know, just put like deadly animals. Couldn't they just kill these creatures, I guess? I don't know. Um, there are odd parallels in this movie to arachnophobia in that they're locating the queen back to the future interstellar. And then I even thought a little bit about the deer hunter Todd's number one movie. You know, it definitely has three acts, you know, the getting drafted part, the going to war part, and then the coming home part. Um, and, and there were green I, berets for sure. They, and then, and then, okay. So I also had thousand to one shot that he bangs his daughter at some point in the movie. There was definitely some romantic vibe going on there. Well, but, see, there you go. The, you, you, uh, you you just proved your point from earlier that there is another big budget Hollywood movie where that's an issue. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. My favorite part of this movie is that I've always complained in time travel movies, why don't these characters ask which teams won the Super Bowl so they could go back in time and place exactly. a bet to win money? Finally, Chris Pratt did it in this movie. Did the Miami Dolphins win the Super Bowl? We don't get the definitive answer, which is frustrating. But that's exactly why you'd go to the future is to win sports bets. I, that's the whole point. Screw the end of humanity. Screw the white stripes. I, that's what I want to know is how I can cash in on some money for some future. And conspiracy theory, that's why you had Back to the Future run number one, right? Exactly. No, here's the real conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is that I had to give Dune three stars because I couldn't give this movie a higher star rating than Dune. I, I, I'd have to be fired from the podcast. The Sparks Brothers, people would come after me. I can't do it. Oh, I want to give this movie three and a half stars. I think Terry is a genius, not an evil genius. This movie was so freaking fun. I, I loved every second of it. Great call, Terry. I was not expecting this movie at all. I, I, just awesome, awesome pick. It looks so bad, though. The, this, the, the, everything in the future looked terrible. This, the the sci-fi Oh, I disagree. This movie, it's like the Angelina Jolie firefighter movie. If you go, you can't go into this movie thinking that it's serious. After 20 minutes, you know this movie's not serious. You can just sit back and have a great time, just like a 90s movie. I, I loved it. It was a great, great, great throwback. Did this movie ever play in a theater? No, it was a straight to Amazon Prime. Because, yeah, I saw it, it had sold for like 200 million to Amazon, but I was like, I don't know. I, I feel like this probably would have been a flop, though. It would have been like Midnight Sky or something if it was in theaters. And Midnight Sky was never in theaters either. Well, it probably was had some sort of run because that's what... I don't know. Can you just give it thumbs up, Todd? Let's make this thrice approved. <laughs> this was this was fun. <laughs> this was more fun to watch than Dune. Well, I mean, I I mean it, yes. But it but I'm not saying... It, I'm not going to say that they're equal movies. <laughs> they're not equal movies. So I, just, exactly. I, gave, <laughs> I gave this movie three stars. And the my thoughts on it are the first two thirds of this movie, if it had just like stopped there, like when he got back, it, it could have been like an all time great sci-fi movie. The third act is insane and ridiculous and didn't need to be there and could have even oh, like been expanded out into the sequel. Like that, that, that should have just been the sequel. I disagree because then the daughter, he has to go back in time to save his daughter because then it turns into back to the future. And without that, we're missing the best Terry scene in the movie, which is the scene where he goes to his student and asks him about the history of volcanoes. You know yeah. that was your favorite scene. <laughs> yeah, because that was there, such a Terry scene. That was the dumbest scene in the movie. Because... 
have but, not figured this out, but this one kid who likes yeah. volcanoes knows Martin, the secret. Why didn't he go with them to Russia? Was my it was like, why is this? Theory. Why does this have to be the callback? Why does this have to be why that scene, the payoff for the scene in the beginning? No, the the third act was horrible and almost ruined the movie. That's how I thought about it. But without the third act, it's like a three and a half, maybe borderline four star movie for me. I thought the first two thirds of it were amazing and brilliant and then the third act just kind of made it almost completely fall apart so that's why it's only three stars terminator meets edge of tomorrow (laughs) i guess apparently meets back to the future and the deer hunter but (laughs) it's almost as good as the deer hunter listen i think we need to deep dive this movie at some point i love this movie why do i feel so much more passionate about this movie than dune it's 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 a little frightening i feel like when ebert reviewed basic instinct 2 when he said it took every instinct in him to not give it four stars that's the way i feel about this movie it's a great movie who is chris mckay he's not related to adam mckay right i have no idea he directed the Lego Batman movie. Well, there you go. That is his, like, in the Lego Batman movie, too, which apparently... Why couldn't they all out. just get on a train like Snowpiercer? <laughs> that was another thing I wrote down. Just get on a train, get, you know, <laughs> just sightsee the rest of the world. It... Is, is that is that a sci-fi movie? Snowpiercer? Yes, absolutely. Dystopian? Absolutely a sci-fi movie. Not a great movie, though. I'd Wouldn't say disto- dystopian is sci-fi. Dystopian is sci-fi. No, I, I, I'm just glad you guys watched it because I, I saw this movie over the summer. I watched I know, I it. I remember you reviewed it, kind of. You had like a half yeah. review. I, I watched it on a plane on an, on my iPad, which sometimes is actually a better way to watch a movie because you get the full scope of the sound through the through the headphones. But uh, I, I was totally invested in this movie and totally bought it. And it's like, it's one of those, if you can buy into the premise, it's great. And I totally 100% bought into the premise. I thought it was awesome. Why Why are stupid movies so good sometimes is my question. Like, like you, you look at Denny Villeneuve. I mean, he put in so much time and passion into Dune. And this movie is so stupid. And yet it's it's so much more fun and relatable. And <laughs> well, we should have spent two and hours why talking do, about Why it. do you think all the movies that we talk about, nobody, <laughs> nobody goes to see it in theater? Because of that. <laughs> and I 100% disagree with Todd. Chris Pratt was awesome in this movie. This is right. a great movie. Let's make Adam watch it. Ooh, that's. I don't know how he hasn't watched it. Yeah, I don't know. Adam either. would love this movie. He would. This movie. Right. This movie is like a multi generational movie. Like I would show this movie to my parents. I would show it to like teenagers. I can't think of. I mean, you're telling me that Terry Senior wouldn't like this movie. Like, like everybody would like this movie. Terry Senior, not a fan of sci-fi. It, it, uh, I don't I mean, know what's going on. He would he would like the he would like that the all. girl was kind of like GI Jane. That'd be that'd be what he'd say. All right. Well, <laughs> let's let's move on from that. I'm glad at least one of you loved it as much as I did. It, it's it's I thought it was just a great fun movie and kind of bummed it never made it to theaters. But okay, it's trivia time. We are going to continue our theme of the podcast of sci-fi movies. And our first category, we're going to go back and forth and see how far we can go. Our first category is, can you name the sci-fi films that have been nominated for Best Picture? How are we describing sci-fi, Terry? (laughs) There are 10 of them. I, uh, Yeah, 
I think all these are pretty undeniably okay. Sci-fi. But if we can make a case for one, would you consider giving us a point? I, I would. I would consider it. I will tell you right now, the way I'm defining it, no sci-fi film has ever won Best Picture. There are ten nominees. All right. So uh, since Zach liked the movie, he gets to go first. <laughs> of course. Uh, Arrival. Arrival is correct. Star Wars. Star Wars is correct. 2001. 2001 was not nominated for Best Picture. Ah, dang it. All right. So Todd's got District 9 is correct. Avatar. Avatar is correct. Avatar. Bobby. Wrong year. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um... Okay. <laughs> it was the departed. <laughs> Bubble. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have any others. Oh, Clockwork Orange dude. nominated? What? Clockwork Orange? Was that, that nominated? Nope, that wasn't nominated. Okay. Is that even so. sci-fi? Maybe. I don't know if that's... I, I don't know the answer to either of those questions at the moment. Hold on. We're looking this up. I feel like it was nominated. I thought it was too, but seventy-one, right? Yeah. yeah. Seventy-one. A Clockwork Orange was nominated. I don't think that's sci-fi, though. I mean, I don't really maybe... do either. But what does IMDb say? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it says it's sci- crime drama sci-fi. Okay. Well, a, a case could All be right. made for that. But the these other, other seven, like ET. Uh, and uh, Inception, her I still question Inception, yeah, her, and that's boring, Gravity, The Martian, and Mad Max Fury Road. Those Gravity is not sci-fi. Mad Max isn't sci-fi. That's, that's dystopian. Terrible. That's dystopian not necessarily sci-fi. sci-fi. I would say dystopian counts as sci-fi. What was the other one? Um, The Martian. Um, um, yeah, see that—that's science reality. No, that's, that's a comedy, Todd. <laughs> Well, it's a comedy okay. according to the Hollywood Foreign Press, yes. So, uh, all right. So here's our here's our second and possibly last category, depending on how, how things go. Uh, can you name the top 25 highest grossing sci-fi franchises? This is total money earned at the worldwide box office from the franchise not not like average per film just total money from the franchise um i will give you a couple a couple things here one no superhero movies are on the list even though an argument could be made for some superhero movies being sci-fi uh second you have to have at least two movies to be considered a franchise for example avatar would be on this list on its own but not but it hasn't had a second film come out, so it's technically not a franchise yet. The the uh, number twenty five on this list, uh, the franchise has two hundred and eighty million dollars combined between all the movies in that franchise at the box office. So there's your there's your threshold. Two hundred eighty million is the bottom of the list. Okay, Todd, you get to go first. Star Wars. Star Wars is number one and has made $10 billion at the box office across 12 movies, 
Force Awakens, highest grossing. Yeah, exactly. it was totally worth that, like, what, $4 million price that they put on that to sell yeah, to Disney? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Star Trek. Star Trek is number six on the list. $2.2 billion across 13 movies. Star Trek Into Darkness, the highest grossing. Todd. Terminator. Terminator is number eight on the list. $2.1 billion across five movies. Judgment Day is still the highest grossing. Zach. Uh, the Matrix. The Matrix is number 10 on the list. $1.7 billion across three movies, which will grow later this year. Matrix Reloaded, the highest grossing. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is number two. $4.9 billion uh, across Pretty five good. movies. Jurassic World, highest grossing. Alien. Alien is number 11 on the list. $1.6 billion across eight movies. Prometheus, the highest grossing. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes is number seven. Wow. $2.2 billion across nine movies. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, highest grossing. Not what I was expecting. So are you considering uh, remakes to also be part of a franchise? I that would, would, that would say... That would make the Planet of the Apes 9, yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. and there there are potentially some overlaps depending on how uh, on on how it's been uh, made. Okay, uh, Back to the Future. Back to the Future is number fifteen on the list. Nine hundred and seventy million across the three films. The first one highest grossing. I mean, they probably say Hunger Games. Hunger Games is number four on the list. Two point nine billion across four movies. Catching Fire is the highest grossing. Like I said, dystopian counts. Uh, King Kong. King Kong is not on the list because I don't think King Kong has ever had a sequel. It's just had remakes. Well, it's had plenty of sequels, but like Kong versus the, the Kong versus stuff. But I guess I'm just wondering if it's, <laughs> if it's considered because I'm just thinking of the 2005 King Kong. Yeah. Um, which never had a sequel. I am going to, uh, for the sake of argument, and to keep this going, because Todd's way ahead, and I don't want you to get out, I'm going to give you one of them, and that is one that you would never get. The Monsterverse is number 12 on this list. $1.3 billion across three movies, which is Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, and Godzilla vs. Kong. Okay, and just to be clear, King Kong made $556 million in 2005. True, but it never had its own true sequel. It's just had remakes, which makes it not a franchise, I think, is okay. what they're going with. But I'll give you the MonsterVerse, because Kong is involved in it. Todd? I like. Does the animation count in this list? Uh, there are no animated franchises. I'm going to say Divergent. Divergent is number 17, with $765 million over three movies. Insurgent is the top grossing. The Maze Runner? Maze Runner is number 16. 949 wow. million nice across pull. three movies. Maze Runner is the first one is the highest grossing. I have no idea. I don't have anything else. Todd's out. Zach? Yeah, only, only one else I had was X-Files, but I don't think that's going to make the list. X-Files, I don't think, had more than one movie. No, it, it did not make the list. It had, it had I, at least one sequel, if not two sequels. Well, it's not on the list. Okay. Okay. 
So Todd wins. Here's what you here's what you missed. Uh, number three on the list is Transformers. That is not sci-fi. Four point eight billion across seven movies. How about just the Godzilla franchise has made two point three billion across thirty six movies. If you include, how is that not in the monster franchise? Like I said, there's some crossover here. So there's the monster verse, but Godzilla is its own thing too. Um, so it'd be like counting like Star like Spider Man no like Far From Home as part of like Spider Man and in the MCU or something. Yes, that's stupid. Yeah, I know. But it, I, like I told you, there was crossover. Anyways, number nine is Men in Black. Uh, number oh. thirteen, Resident Evil. Number fourteen, Independence Day. That's the lowest uh, one. That's over a billion dollars. And then you didn't get any from nineteen or eighteen to twenty-five, which are Predator, Ghostbusters, Mad Max, Nutty oh. Professor, Tron, Alien vs. Predator, Blade Runner, and Cloverfield. Alien versus Predator. But not so there Alien are, or Predator. There, so there's Alien, there's Predator, but there have been two Alien versus Predator movies, so they counted it as his own That's franchise. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I thought like Tron being up there was interesting. Men in Black is one you don't necessarily think of, but it's totally a good a good one to have on there. Okay, so Todd Todd wins. But I did get the Maze Runner. I, I you did know. get the Maze Runner. That was a good, After that's Todd got Divergent, I mean, yeah, uh, he opened up a, a wormhole there. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, there was no Ender's Game <laughs> sequel, so I couldn't go with that. <laughs> exactly. All right. It is time to wrap this up with quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Todd, go for it. Well, I was going to quote my number one sci-fi movie, which is a part where I think it's the first time that Joseph Gordon-Levitt sees uh, Bruce Willis, and he says, your face looks backwards. And... I don't know. I don't know why I want to quote that, but it's funny. It's a good one. It's <laughs> and that's the way one. you would look at somebody who is your younger self or older self or something. All right, I'll go next. My no my quote is from my number one sci-fi film, Jurassic Park, and it's kind of a forgotten quote, but it's a great one because it involves Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. So uh, John Hammond, uh, played by Richard Attenborough, says. All major theme parks have delays. When they opened Disneyland in 1956, nothing worked. And uh, Dr. Malcolm goes, uh, yeah, but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great quote. It's a great line. And it's even better that it's Goldblum. So that was a horrible Goldblum impression, but I tried. Yeah. Zach? <laughs> All right, my, uh, no, my quote of the day comes from my number one sci-fi movie of this podcast, which is The Tomorrow War. <laughs> and uh, when I heard this line, I knew it had to be the quote of the day. It's when J.K. Simmons says, I wish Stevie Nicks would show up in her birthday suit with a jar of pickles and a bottle of baby oil. <laughs> I, was I was honestly going to quote that if I remembered to write it down when I was watching it. It's a classic. <laughs> this is Academy <laughs> Award-worthy writing. This is an amazing screenplay. Chris McKay... MVP of this podcast. And, and that that that's it's even better, better than 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 it's JK Simmons. And uh like I mean that that's that's like going down in history with like I trust my barber uh as as great <laughs> great JK Simmons lines. Freelance. Uh, 
All right. Well, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode talking all things movies. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together. Same length as The Tomorrow War.